0: Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Well, another week down, another podcast to deliver, and I'm looking forward to getting this one out. It's been a long time coming. Uh, But before, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure, since you guys are fans of the podcast, I want you guys to go now to your phone and share it with two of your friends that are in the Volkswagens and make sure that they listen to it because they're missing out on some really good content and uh, if you enjoy the content, you definitely want to share it with your friends. So everybody's got the time to share it with two of their friends. And if you haven't gone to rate and review us, make sure you go and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so that more people searching for Volkswagen Podcasts can find it. Um, I definitely love uh, and appreciate the support that you guys are showing me. So um, if you guys are looking for any merch, I have merch available to help support the podcast uh, available at Let'sTalkDubs.com. Click on the store. Also, remember that with the podcast in the details, I'll put links to the blog as well as uh, other miscellaneous links, whether it's to the guest's Instagram or Facebook page or their website. So make sure you click on the details and check that out, and uh, make sure you get the full experience of the podcast. Because anytime that I can get pictures or information like that, I definitely put it up on the blog and uh, share it with you guys. And that's how you can fully immerse your experience in a Let's Talk Dubs podcast. I thought it'd be interesting to read an excerpt from uh, Racing News, which was uh, Pro Racing News, which is the October 1994 uh, copy that goes over the the inaugural Las Vegas bug-in. And it had a driver profile. It says, Adam Wick began racing in the Pro Stock Class in 1988. However, he started his career with a VW at age 15. Uh, he and his father then built a Frameworks car and raced it for three seasons. The car was sold, and Adam began to concentrate on starting a race engine building business, now known as Wick's R- Wick Racing Engines, which is located in Anaheim, California. He builds engines for all applications, and he's got a pretty rad diner room and a lot of other stuff. What cracked me up at the end of this is, uh, well, it says... Uh, it says he, Wick also thinks heads up racing is the best and would like to see more limitations keep the cost down for future plans to continue building his business and he hopes someday to go on HRA racing. And it says at the end, it says as uh, still single at age 25, he's looking for that special lady as Adam heads for the final race this season. We know he'll be working hard to fit, to win his first PRA championship. What's funny is Adam ends up here in Las Vegas because he's no longer single and married Becky Wick who was an off-road racer. So, I uh, just thought that was kind of neat to read out of the uh 1994 uh racers uh racers guide, the pro racing news that they had for drag racers back in the day. But Adam's been uh later moved on for the past 20 some odd years. He's now here in Las Vegas building engines and uh some of the most reliable off-road cars come out of his shop as well some of the highest horsepower street engine so it's a great listen he's got a lot of history back in southern california and a lot of history out here in las vegas and we talk about all of that california history off-road transition uh marrying his wife becky how all this comes together and what the future could possibly hold but it's lots of good stories it's a long podcast it's a great podcast so make sure uh you guys enjoy this listen, and I'll try to get lots of pictures up about stuff that we talked about. So without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week with Adam Wick on Let's Talk Doves Podcast. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen. finally we're here and i've been talking about this for a while about bringing my buddy adam on the podcast who uh you guys know him from the build up before and he's been the VW scene for a long time but he's been living i think he's been living in las vegas almost longer than 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 you've been in california i think no, no. 20, I, I'm, years. Bro, 20 years bro bro as of right now you're an official nevadan dude yeah, so we're right so, uh, we want to welcome Adam to the podcast today, man. How are you, buddy?
1: I'm good. I'm doing great, man. Can't uh, complain. Yeah,
0: I've been chasing this guy for quite a while, and uh, he really, he he plays hard to get, and uh, we finally got him on here. And, you know, one of the things before I started the podcast, I was actually, I'd go to Adam's place, and we would uh, sit around and talk stories about the back in the day and all that fun stuff, and it you know, those stories are what pushed me to do the podcast because when I hear these really cool stories about things about the history and all that stuff. And I thought, man, these are so cool. I wish there was other people here to hear them. And so it was one of the other reasons that I decided to get in the podcast over talking with you and other people about stories in the history of the hobby. And so the first thing we're going to get into, like we always do, is what is your VW story?
1: Wow. Um, I think I was about 15 and, uh, it was probably time to start looking at what kind of car you wanted to drive. And back in the day, it was, uh, I think 90 or 90, 85. And, uh, it was either a Camaro. My dad was like, you want a Camaro? And I was like, no, no, I want a Volkswagen, you know, cause in the eighties that was it. And so, um, started looking for a VW and found a, actually an oval window, um, a red oval window. Didn't know anything about them at the time. And, and, Basically, this is an oval window that somebody had put on a late model 69 pan, and uh, that was my first Volkswagen that I got home when I was probably 15 and a half and, and just did nothing but worked on it all the time.
0: And, uh, and part of the thing with what, what made you pick, because I mean, you're Southern California, but like you're going to high school at the time, and like what is the reason you go with The reason that you decide Volkswagen.
1: Growing up in Orange County, I mean, the VW scene was big, you know, I mean, that was the thing. Everybody had Volkswagens and, and basically, uh, that was the car to have. I mean, it was like, you know, you know, I mean, I was a kind of at that age where it was like, oh, heck yeah, I want a VW. Every older guy around town or at our school had, you know, fixed up streetcars, cow look bugs. And, and so... In the, in the 80s that was it you know
0: so you and you're living are you live in orange county at the time
1: i lived in orange county i lived in anaheim right down uh right down in the center there and uh that was, I was born and raised and and basically uh that's where it all kind of I mean, stemmed
0: it's, from it's the hot bit of vw stuff and so you get this volkswagen and i, I mean i'm assuming like every kid in southern california you get the volkswagen Gene Berg, all those guys are all essentially locals Yep. And,
1: yep. Johnny Speed and Chrome, Right. you know, was like the first place you could go down there and we'd check everything out and buy this or buy that. And then we kind of went small car specialties and, you know, th- that grew and got big. And then of course, once we got into the motor side of it and trying to make big performance stuff, I mean, we ended up at Berg's. You know? so,
0: so how did you get into doing performance stuff? Like, where where does that come from? I
1: just always worked on... My dad always worked on cars. Always, He was always working on something in the garage. Didn't matter if we had a Jeep, his truck... We always worked on stuff, solvent tanks, welders, didn't matter, build motors. And so when I got the Volkswagen, it it was like, oh, this is, you know, I can start working on this thing. And when we first bought this thing, it was a, I think it had a 1300 in it with dual cadrones. And the guy actually told us the clutch is going out. And really the clutch wasn't going out. The guy had put a four puck disc in it. And the clutch was so aggressive that the thing would like literally chirp the tires in every gear. Well, in turn... You know i i don't even think i turned 16 yet and i was like man the pulley keeps coming loose i don't know why the pull now the pulleys cracked on the front well it had literally ripped the flywheel off the back of the crank really and i think it did that before i ever was even 16 and already had the motor out and and it was like okay go get the books and try and figure out how to do it and and you know that's how it started
0: and so your dad was a mechanical kind of guy
1: my dad was very mechanical. My dad, you know, owned a construction company, uh, but also back in the day when he was growing up, had a gas station and worked on cars, drag racer. Um, so that's kind of we were always working on stuff.
0: So do you get to know the people in the VW scene through the Volkswagens or did you go to school with them or I
1: would definitely tell you through the Volkswagens, go into the you know going to the different shops and uh, and it probably wasn't till almost my senior year uh when we really kind of started building nicer cars um and then after of course once i got out of school which was 87 i graduated and that's when we started you know building our first race car
0: so you build your first race car like like yours. it always starts out the same right like your street race and your stuff like that when your car is a bucket i remember you telling me a story about um about you taking your mom's station wagon and going over to Camelot. Yeah,
1: I used to I used to take my mom's car, me and my buddies. We'd all go to Camelot, I think, on Sunday nights. And and you had all the older guys, Bill Schwimmer and, you know, Berg's and whoever else was there. And and it was like, oh, you know, these guys were probably in their 20s. Here we are teenagers. And and I'll never forget, I pulled up uh, behind Bill Schwimmer at that time, had Pepto, which um, was a famous car that was in the magazines. Yeah, the pink square back. Yeah, pink square back. And I got like... He thought I got too close to it in my mom's car, and he got out, and he came over, and he kind of yelled and screamed at us, you know, and we were like, oh, my God, this guy's going to kill us, you know, and we were just young kids at the time, and right. and here, this guy had, you know, he was probably in his early 20s, mid-20s, and had a super, super high-end car back then, and and that's kind of was the exposure, you know, so when you saw cars like that, and, and you started going to the races and, and everything else, you're like, okay, I want to build something like that, Sure. You know?
0: Yeah, it gets you fired up, and and you and, and at this time you're, you're you're having you got the oval window at home on the sixty nine pan, which is the uh...
1: yep. I had an oval window at home on the sixty nine pan. Had semi fours, and it was actually IRS, but it was actually a great little car. And then uh, I also had a sixty seven that I was kind of going through and uh, doing uh, restoring that car and had just had it painted, had some interior done, had a little motor in that. So I kind of had two of them about when I graduated high school. Um, and you know, that's kind of where it went.
0: So now you, so when do you really start seriously building engines? Cause like for, at this point you're probably going to, your, your thing is like, I'm going to construction with my old man and this is what I'm going to do but then you start going down the road of like drag racing is what reels you into building your own motors.
1: Yeah. The drag racing thing built, uh, basically reeled me into doing that. I ended up graduating. And at the time, um, in Hot VW's frameworks, the frameworks, which they're still around. I'm personal friends with, uh, Danny Rhodes and his dad, Steve that passed away here just recently. But, uh, I saw an ad and it was basically, uh, for a pro stock car. It was a, it was called, they called it a pro sedan. And for me growing up, going to all the winter nationals, world finals, I was a huge NHRA pro stock guy. Still am to this day. I mean, if I hit the lotto tomorrow, that's what I'd have. Yeah. you know. And so when I saw this ad, I told my dad, I said, man, we need to buy one of these and build one of these pro stock cars. And so he kind of laughed at first and I said, Hey, I'll sell both my street cars and let's put that money towards one of these cars, will you help me out? You know? And, uh, he said, yeah, no problem. So, uh, we actually went over to Arizona, met with them. And at the time it was a chassis was like 995 bucks for the chassis, believe it or not. That's for the chassis kit. That's just just the chassis kit. Welded together. But you you go, oh man, I can afford that, you know? And then it was like, well, that was no struts and that's no this. And that's no that. And at the time I already had a Foltz tranny in my street car and I already had like a two liter motor with IDAs. And so it was like, okay. And so we went over there and kind of met with those guys, and and that was the beginning of the wicked car that has been in the magazines and that we drag raced for years. And and so we ordered a car. I sold off all my street cars, and basically uh, that's what got me into the motor side of it, really, because I was working construction. And uh, actually, I went to Arizona State uh, first semester because my car was getting built over there. And as soon as my car was done, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm pulling out of school and came home. My mom about killed me, but, uh, came home and, uh, went to work for my dad doing construction. Cause I had done that all my life already, or Mm -hmm. I would say in my teens, he'd take me to work on the weekends. And so, um, you know, I, at 18, 19 years old, I was working construction living at home, making decent money. Right. It's Um, all going to the bank. It's all, (laughs) it's all going into VW parts. You're like two
0: more weeks and I got a crankshaft.
1: That's exactly (laughs) right. Two more weeks. And I mean, I'd go to Berg every week, you know, okay, I can afford this. Okay. Can I get a set of rods? Okay. You know, and that's, that's how you did it. And that's how a lot of people did it, you know? Yeah. And so, um, that basically, once we got that car done and, uh, got it on the track, that's when I always did my own motors. So, I mean, but that kind of, uh got the ball rolling for just building motors uh, for myself at the time.
0: Now, what I mean, but what made you, because obviously, you know, there's there's a point when like you're building your own motors, you got your little drag car out oh. there. First time you take that car out there, what do you run the first time? Like the first time it's... you're out there and the first time, are you building the engines or are you having shops do the motor work for you?
1: Never had a shop do them. I, I always did it myself, learned the hard way. First time we ever took my street car to Famosa Drag Strip,
0: Famosa is in Bakersfield Bakersfield. That's a hall.
1: Yeah. I mean, so we went up to Famosa we're going to go to one of the buggins and we went up there the day before for a test and tune. I just put brand new Firestone slicks on it and all the stuff. I mean, back then it had IDAs and it was like a, I think it was a, I don't know, a 2110 or something. And it had some Lonnie Reed heads and it had, you know, we thought it had the bomb, you know, and it had a, I had a vertex, vertex Magneto. And so we went out there and, uh, I'd never really even been down a drag strip. You would never drag race before? Never drag race. So we'd done it on the street, but never sure. been to an actual track. So I said, hey, we're going to go down to the shutoff area and we're going to launch this car a couple times. And so we went down to the shutoff area and launched the car two or three times. And about the third time we did it, the motor shut off. And we were like, what the heck? So we got back and got back to the pits and, and realized that the Magneto had slid up. And we're like, oh, that's why they have those big aluminum clamps to hold these things in. You know, right. We didn't know. Well, no, what really had happened was the um, crank spacer had came off. Because at the time, I didn't have a racer spacer. I just had, who knows, one from wherever. And at high RPM, it literally came off the crank went through the cam gears, broke the camshaft in half, bent all the valves and junked the thing. And I never even went down the track. So it was, <laughs> it was hilarious. We drove all the way home, tore the whole thing apart, called all my friends. They came over and, and it just wasn't going to happen. So we ended up driving all the way back for the race on Sunday, just to go spectate.
0: So you drove back to orange County, tore the motor park Like I'm going to rebuild this real quick. Absolutely. And then okay, this is a lost cause. We're not missing the show. So you go back over there.
1: Literally pulled it all apart. The only thing that kept us from rebuilding it was when it bent all the valves, it blew all the guides out of the heads. And so we couldn't fix that. So it was like, okay, we're not fixing it for tomorrow. So everybody loaded up in the truck and drove all the way back out and went and hung out at the races.
0: And so the next time you're, so you eventually get on the drag strip.
1: Yep. Next time I get on the drag strip, I literally was my pro stock car. It was, are uh, you kidding? Nope. Like first time down the drag strip, you're in a pro stock car, LA County raceway. Really? So our car was done. It was in primer. Um, you're like,
0: I hope it's fast. uh, I think I know how to drive.
1: Oh, I think I know how to drive and let's see, you know, I mean, really that was the first time I ever did a burnout in the water box. And, uh, and so it was pretty crazy because at that time, bug pack was actually building a car. Jimmy Larson built a car for, Uh, Bill Duncan and Dick Nuss at the same time our car was done. And so when both those cars got done, we were actually going to these tracks and testing the same places. Well... When you look at old school stuff and Duncan and Ness was a big name back in Modified Compact in HRA. And so it was like, okay, and uh here we are just some kids. You're going after the big boys. Well, right? we we're just some like, kids. My dad's a
0: drywall guy.
1: <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> let's do this. You know, this is this is it was like, okay, let's see what we can do. And 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 that's how it just started from there. And we pretty much did all our motor stuff. Uh, I used to go to Roger Crawford's shop uh, heads up back in Fullerton and we use his dyno. Roger did my first set of heads. Actually funny. I called Fumio to have Fumio do heads for me. Yeah. But at the time, Fumio only did VW cast heads. And, and for me, I would tell you I was kind of a, maybe a new generation back then because the Bergs and Duncan and us and all these guys, they did Fumio style heads or VW cast heads and wedge ports and this, and I'm going I don't want to use those. That there's no way. We need to do a super flow, or we need to do.
0: Right, you're going to the big. boy or whatever. Well, it
1: was back then. It was super flow. Super right? flow, the big. And big so, ticket. I called Fumio, and I kept telling him no. He and he'd say nope. Forty two thirty seven. That's the biggest valves we put in it. Nope. And I go no, this is a big motor. It's a twenty three hundred. This isn't an eighteen hundred. You know, back where these guys used to run. Nope, nope. You know, forty two thirty seven. And so, I'm like, nah, I'm not going to do it. So I actually went to Raj and Roger. Did a couple sets of superflows for me, and and basically we built the motors, and Roger would we rent his dyno at the time, and and we would dyno at Roger's shop, and uh, and that's how it was forever, you know, and um,
0: and what was the scene like back then? I mean, was it well, because you know back in the day, I mean today the technology that we have available is like unbelievable. It's digital. I mean, dinos are really sophisticated, all this kind of stuff. Paint a picture for me of what the scene was like back then. Back
1: in the day... (laughs) coming from I don't want to say I came from the v8 world but I did a lot of research in the v8 world and I had hold friends. on a second
0: are you that guy that you don't like today that comes to your shop be like hey I got a question about this uh, you know I saw this and what about this this and this if yeah. you're that you were that well, guy I wasn't
1: that guy but <laughs> I would just pay attention and and so we'd go whether I was at Rogers mm-hmm. or and I saw how his Dino operated and and how we did stuff or I'd go okay well Berg he's he's I mean those guys are the the, the sure. epitome of it all. And i go, man, they roll their stuff right out the back too. And, and how they dyno their stuff. There was no such thing as computerized dynos for Volkswagen guys or anything. Well, the V8 world had, had that, you know, had dyno rooms and had more sophistication that we did. Um, and so in, I would tell you it was really archaic, but, but at the time it wasn't, we it was- were, the development was huge because No, like I can tell you, just an exhaust. It was like, well, let's try an inch and three quarter header. And it was like, oh man, that made seven more horsepower. Well, maybe we need an inch and seven eighths. Oh man, that's better. Well, now we need a two inch, you know? I mean, and so it was just very uh, expedited because nobody had built big motors like that. The only guy that really was way ahead of all of us was Dean Lowry. Dean Lowry back, he was ahead of everybody because he did all the ARPM stuff all the big motors. So in the very beginning, when pro stock happened, Dean had big motors, he did big motors, you know, and, uh, whether it was the midget stuff that he learned it from doing all that. And so he kind of had a jump start on all of us. So, um, but the development side of it was, was huge. I mean, it was just progressing super fast. And
0: you're right there. And like in the big dogs, right? Like what's the What's the big class back then that everybody's running?
1: Well, back then it was all bracket racing. Yeah. Cause
0: you jump, I mean, you jump past bracket racing, yep.
1: all these classes, right, right, right to pro stock, right into heads up pro pro sedan. Pro I mean,
0: you're, so you're a little confident.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, it was just where I wanted I, to me. I'd never been a bracket racer and I was like, I mean, Klingerman, Mike Smith, all these guys, they were the king of bracket racers, right? And and we'd loved it. You know, stinging them on the back bumper and it was just great. But it was like, eh, you know, I I for me, it was all about heads up. It was all about, hey, let's see what you have and who has the fastest stuff. And and that's that's where it was at for me. Right. And so that was the only place I wanted to be. So we jumped right into that mix and in, you know, Jack Saketti, Ron Loomis. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at it, Mitch Evenson, R and R machine, There's some guys that were very innovative, Duncan and Nuss, the Bergs. I mean, there was just, you know, because it was a heads up class. It was like, you went home after every weekend and worked on your stuff and tried to find more power and tried to go test. And, and that's how it was.
0: Now, back in those days, I mean, they were already done using like not, not the, uh, uh DeMello's probably like the was the was the crank back in the day, but I'm almost thinking like SBG crank, right? Like the roller bearing stuff, yeah, no and, and all that. But that stuff was probably already done for the drag racing scene by then. We
1: were done with those. It would be uh, if you found an a 78 and you could offset grind it to 82, because we'd take 80 yeah, you know, 78 Okrasa's VW journal, take them out and have them offset ground um, to 82. Or you might even find a bigger one and offset grind it. Or you know, uh, you could use bug pack stuff. Of course, the epitome of all of them was, man, you, you go get a Berg. You know, right. I mean, it was like you go buy a Berg crank and that was the the holy
0: grail. And the reason why like why Berg was so good was obviously because the, the, the casting in Sweden, like uh, I don't know if it was the same Foundry VW used or whatever, but it was one of these things where like. You know, if you read Berg's book, he goes through this whole one-page thing about casting, cranks, and cutaways, and how the, yep. how, the how the the metallurgy looks yep. and all this stuff. It's
1: all the grain structure, the forgings, and the quality of control. I mean, Scat made great cranks. We use those also, but Bergs were just by far. You could take a motor with a Berg crank, run it harder, higher. And, and the cases would just look that much better because you got to remember, we're still using at the time magnesium cases. Yeah, S41s. Yeah, that are designed for 60 horse and we're trying to make at that time, you know, 240, 250 horse. And so when you didn't have a quality bottom end, I mean, you were literally having to take the thing apart all the time and, and put bearings in it because yeah. everything's moving around.
0: and so at this time so it, it's it's the hot ticket it's it's what's going on you're running a pro stock class where are you ranking and who are you who are you battling with and are you in the top 5 are you where where are we, you ranking when we first started
1: side? we uh we had all the pieces but we couldn't get the puzzle all together right. and and um a big shout out to Mitch Evenson up at R&R Machine one day he uh comes over and and I'm like, man, the thing should run faster than what it is. Like and I got all the best parts. I got all the good stuff. We've dynoed it, and uh, he let me borrow a magneto. My car was in. We were in Firebird, Phoenix, and my car was running somewhere in the probably 1070s, 1080s at that time. And, and that's and,
0: freaking fast, even then. Yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, at that time, I think he was going 1030s, right? So, and, and we knew that like, man, we have all the good stuff, but there's just something missing. And uh, we would dyno it and it'd run good. And you kind of have these cheat sheets and you go, oh, man, it should run faster than what it's running. But um, he came over and he says, you know what? Here, I'm going to let you borrow one of my Magnetos. And uh, this is before even MSD. Ignitions. What are you running?
0: A, a double nine?
1: No, we had, we had Magnetos, but. Everybody would take their magneto to different people, whether it was Joe Hunt or Cirillo or these guys, and have these guys up their magneto's and and beef Set them, up. them up with weights and well whatever, weights and and, and, and the charge. So I mean, basically how they worked. And so I was like, okay, you know, and we literally pulled our mag out, put his mag in, retime the motor, and went out. And I think the t- car went ten fifty one on the first pass, <laughs> and and he had went fast for the day at like ten thirty eight. So I remember him walking back over and goes, okay, you can give me that back now. You figured out your problem, you know, and we laughed about it and, and became good friends. And, uh, and it was like, okay, that's our problem, you know? And so, um, we went back and, you know, about that time is when all the MSD ignition stuff kind of came into the world and with two steps and starting line control and stuff like that. So we got rid of the mags and put all the electronics in the cars. And,
0: uh, and so what's the setup of the motor that you're running in Wicked when you are running that car?
1: We first built that car. Uh, it was eighty four ninety four. So berg crank, um rods to start, superflow heads, flat tappet still. Um, you know, back then it was K eight hundred valve springs, berg rockers, you know, um Smith Brothers push rods. We did use J and G clutches. So And you you're know, running
0: compression at what?
1: Oh, uh, we'd probably try and get as much. Fifteen to one was kind of a minimum. You know, I mean, it was like you try well, to get as are much. You are you on could. alcohol or no? That's no, it's gas. all race. All race, race gas. Fuel. It's race fuel. And the big thing with compression was, and we didn't do it at the time. Was now you know, you have pistons built around all that stuff. So in my later engine building days, when I started doing some of the super street stuff for like Angie Vanderhorse, we built mini dome pistons and, and stuff like that. But back then you'd put a big old cam in it and then you'd go, man, I got to notch my pistons more. And so, you know, you would lose compression when you put the bigger cam in it. So there was a, there was a happy medium for all that. And Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, trying to
0: figure it all out. And so you run this car, how long you campaign that car for?
1: Campaign that car for, uh, three or four years.
0: And then do you start building, how do you transition to engine building? Like you're spending well, <laughs> so much time racing and you're obsessing. So, and then I'm, I'm sure you bought every special tool to do your own. So whatever you needed. You yeah. Know what, I mean?
1: wh- what happened was, is, uh, you know, we were going to Rogers using his dyno and doing all that, but there were some downfalls, you know, um, back in those days, these guys, would uh you know you couldn't really run the motors over seven maybe seventy five hundred but these big motors it was hard to control and I just didn't understand that so uh, I I did some homework I I got a hold of my dad had a friend called uh, named Steve Jennings that did uh, road race cars mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of uh, four cylinder. You know, high RPM, high constant. RPM stuff. Yeah. And so I kind of went over and talked to him a little bit about his dyno and how it worked, and and basically it was all water supply. A lot of these guys ran them off the flipping hose going into the brake or into a, you know, maybe a small jacuzzi. Oh, pump. you're saying the
0: dyno? could dyno handle the high RPM. Yeah.
1: And and I just couldn't understand that because here I'd watched V8s run. 9,000 RPM, no problem. But why can't we run our small motors like that? So at that point I was like, you know what? I want to buy my own dyno. And so I kind of went to my dad and said, Hey, you know, I want to buy my own dyno. And, uh, he says, well, do the homework, figure out how much it's going to cost. And and my dad was pretty good. Like he, he would go, Hey, I'll split it with you. You know, I'll, I'll split it with you. And, and whatever it costs, you got to come up with half, whether it was a Foltz tranny. And I'd go, okay. You know, so I called Stuska at the time and, uh, I remember uh, I bought the dyno for 6,800 bucks and I told him, hey, I want to run this thing 10,000 RPM and be able to control it. No problem here. You need these giant water pumps. And so I was like, okay, that's the ticket. And so at the time we had a construction shop. And so my dad gave me a little portion of it to kind of set up as uh, the race side. And so I built, I actually built a dyno room, probably one of the first guys really that I know of that had a dyno room. And the you purpose know. for
0: the diner was to control the atmosphere to try yeah, to control. Yeah, you know, well,
1: you just didn't roll it out the back of the shop and, and everybody had it on just rollers. It was too were...
0: loud. We took it outside. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so we actually built a diner room and tried to do like what we saw the v world doing. Right. And, uh, you know, I just did my own stuff, you know, and, and it kind of progressed from there, you know, Hey, I, I went and bought a flow bench and I got a little lathe and a little mill. And and so we could do more stuff in house. And I had a lot of help. I mean, from, from people, you know, Gary Berg was super, super good to me. Um, you know, when I didn't know I'd go ask him and, and he'd help me out, you know, whether it was with wedge mates or whatever, you know, so I was very fortunate on that point. Um, you know, and, and we just kind of, okay, we started doing all of it in house, but, uh, about, uh, early nineties, 90, I think 93, 92, 93 is, I kind of thought, you know what? I, I think I want to sell this. I'm going to sell this car. And, uh, and at that point I was like, "Ah, I thought I'm going to build a V8 car, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, kind of economy crashed, construction went down. And so, and I was kind of, kind of tired of construction. And I thought, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to open an engine shop. (laughs)
0: Like I really going to make some money. Yeah.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, and, uh, a guy I went to school with basically his, uh, Cousin at the time was building a Baja Bug, a 51600 they call it, and he goes, hey, you know, my my cousin needs a motor. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, you know. So they brought me all the parts, and I put it all together. And I said, you know, let me go check this off road thing out, you know. And uh, I came out to a snore race here in Vegas, the mm-hmm. Snore 250. And when I rolled into there like race morning, I was like, oh my gosh. Because really in the drag race world, there really wasn't a lot. You got a
0: handful of guys that are like, there's 30 guys in the entire racing scene.
1: exactly. You know, and out of those 30 guys, 25 of them do it themselves. Right. right? When I came out to my first off-road race, it was like, there's 300 Volkswagens running around here. And it was like, holy cow. Now all of a sudden you're seeing fat performance, Don Hats, Kenny Majors. These are all guys that do nothing but build... Off-road race motors.
0: And now you know why. (laughs) And I was like, okay, you know what? I
1: think I'm going to open an engine shop. And so I ended up putting my car up for sale. Um, It was in the back of Hot VWs. I listed it for $48,000 and people laughed at me. You're never going to get that. I said, well, you could never build one for that. Right. And uh, lo and behold, I had one guy, Mr. Maciel was his name out of Monterey, Mexico that uh, called me up. And said, hey, I'm interested in your car. Um, and he says, but I'm in Monterey, Mexico. He says, uh, would you bring it down here? And I'm like, oh, there's no way, dude. I you're said, like, not, I want to get down I, there. You're going to take my <laughs> yeah, car. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> taking it across the border. You know, he goes, no, how about you bring it to uh, Juarez? Not Juarez, uh, McCallum, Texas. Excuse me, McCallum, Texas. And I said, well, you send me $10,000 deposit to show me you're serious. And I'll bring it down there and basically, uh, so you can see it. And, and he goes, well, I want to see it run. There's a track down here where you run at the track. And so I was like, okay, you know, we can do that. And so two days later, boom, he, he sends me the money and I'm like, holy guy, this yeah. guy's, this guy's serious. So at that point I'm like, chance of a lifetime, load all this stuff up in the trailer, me and my dad and my best buddy, Derek, uh, we jump in the truck and we're going to go show this guy the car, Texas. you know? <laughs> So we drive all the way down there, get to this McCallum, Texas track. And it's like a little podunk track. And, you know, these guys have never seen a car like this, right? This car has got every bell whistle, you name it. So at the time we're like, man, let's pull all the weight out of this car.
0: Let's really, let's let's really like, let's show
1: these guys what's up, up, you know? So we pulled all the weight that we had out of the car and then we had another wing like another element that went on the rear wing and we're like, and it was all polished. so It looked pretty. I'm like, Hey, just put that on there. Cause we wouldn't need it. You like
0: know? We're just a showboat right now.
1: Yep. So we went out and, and these guys go, Hey, uh, the track officials go, we've never seen you run. So you need to go up and make a half pass. You need to make a three quarter pass and then you can make a full pull. No problem. Went up, made a half pass. No problem. Clicked it off. Come back. Make a three quarter sandbagging
0: at this time. Well,
1: at this point it's like, we're, you know, we're just shutting it off. Like they said, made a three quarter down the track, shut it off and coasted. And it went like 10 Oh one at 111 miles an hour. Oh, get out of here. So we're like, Oh, this car, it's going to fly, you know? So at that point he's like, man, I'm happy. It's all good. No, no, no. We're going to show you, we're going to show you one more pass. Cause at this point we're like, we want to lay it down. Big mistake. You're like, it's Big my mistake. it's my last time driving yes. this, dude. I'm going to send it. Yes, you got it. <laughs> and so at this point, it's dark. You know, the track has terrible lighting. And uh, we go out there and I get it in high gear. And the thing is just not really steering in fourth gear, you know. And, and it's so dark that you kind of can't tell. But by the time I realize it, it catches the guardrail right at the top end. No way. So when it catches the guardrail, of course, we crash the car and just
0: like no way. tumble
1: this thing. So
0: are you kidding? No,
1: me? no, I'm not kidding. Oh, so back, out. this is back. And, and I can just remember crashing, thinking to myself, he still owed me, uh, I think $37,000. Right. And all in my head, I'm going $37,000. Oh my God. $37,000, you know? <laughs> oh, and and the thing like it tears the back, the wheelie bars. I mean, it, it destroys the car body wise, really. And, uh, we, we stop or it finally stops, and I jump out of the car, and and they all come down there. Man, are you okay? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm fine. You know, you're just pissed. I'm just like shocked. <laughs> I've never even spun this car out, you know, and it's just destroyed. And so at that point, I'm like, Okay, you know, we load everything back up, and he's like, Hey, let's let's go over. We're gonna go have some dinner. We'll go to Denny's, you know. And so we're all sitting there, and he he's looking at me and he says, uh, So what are you gonna do? And I said, I'm going home to rebuild my car and go racing, man. I mean, that's just, there's no, no ifs, ands, or buts. That's just how it is. And he's like, you build a car just like that, and I'll buy it. And so he goes, uh, how long? How long do you think? I go, two
0: weeks. Give me two weeks. You rolled. So, so you rolled the car. Yeah.
1: So oh, I'm sure God. I had a concussion at the time. I'm <laughs> laughing. Because my, my buddy Derek and my dad look at me like, I am crazy. And so I said, well, I said, it might take a little longer than two weeks. But, you know. Let me see and he goes, "You build it and I'll I'll buy it." And I said, "Okay." So we literally loaded our stuff up after dinner, and since there were three of us and this is how we did it always, we just swapped. We just took turns <laughs> driving shifts. Driving shifts, and we stopped at Frameworks in Arizona on the way home, opened the trailer door, showed them like, "Hey, this is what the deal is. We got this thing sold, but we got to basically either put a new chassis in it or fix it or whatever we got to do." And so he, he said, no problem, get it back to me and we'll put it on the jig or see, see what's good or not. So we literally went, got home two days later, I had a bare chassis, took it back to uh, frameworks in Arizona and, uh, they put it on the jig and literally the chassis just needed a new front section. The back of it was perfect. Um, if anybody has ever seen that car, that car was one of the first cars that they did. What's called a skin, the body, it had no drip rails it had just the outer layer of body so there was everything cut out of it and uh my dad was you know we we, we went into the shop and kind of mounted the body back up and anchored it on the you know did porta powers and pushed all the body back up and he metal worked all the body back out and at the time i made the front ends which we still make the the arrow front end we still have them today and uh we got a new fiberglass front end. We literally cut the front fenders off and we put them on the back. So, uh, if you ever look at how my car was, it had kind of rear fenders that we modified to put on the back and uh redid the wing and wheelie bars and hubs. And about three and a half weeks later, we were painting that car. We asked him, you know, how do you want it painted? We're gonna repaint it for you. And uh he basically uh says I want it painted like Jack Sacchetti's car, which was a small car specialties right. pro sedan, but I want it to say small car hot. And so he said small car hot. Small car hot. You know, so I said, okay. You know, so we painted the whole thing up for him. And uh, literally three weeks later we were driving back to Texas. And we, we made some passes down the street in it just to make sure everything is good. Right. And, uh, we told him, Hey, we're bringing it to you, you know, but we're not making passes. This is, you get it, you know? And he says, well, as long as it's everything you say it is, we'll buy it. And so when that car got sold, I had the money to basically open an engine shop. And, uh, at that point it was like, okay, dad, I'm not working construction no more. I'm going to go open an engine shop.
0: Were you still working out of his shop?
1: I was still working out of his shop. And so basically that was kind of did the that
0: turned into Wix Racing Engines that, the first one. That time?
1: was a springboard to put me into Wix Racing Engines in Anaheim. Uh you know, we had the dyno, built the dyno room there, another dyno room, flow benches, you know, all the stuff to basically do motors.
0: And now at this time have you built a, a few off-road motors for guys at stuff this, like that or this, no?
1: At this point I've done uh I did one for this Brian Logan was his name, was my very first client and then uh we just kind of got the shop going. And, and I had another client that I still do work for him today. Matter of fact, his sons now race, uh, Kevin Davis was my second guy. And we took care of basically those two guys stuff. And I spent about a year, actually one whole season with these guys where I kind of babysat them, did everything I could. And after a season, I had basically blown through every bit of savings, every bit of money, every bit of everything being young and dumb and you know, river trips and snow skiing and just having a good time, you know, (laughs) and, uh, going to the races for three, four days. It didn't matter. I had money in the bank, but
0: are you living at home at this time?
1: I'm still living at home at the time. Yeah. So uh, life's
0: not real yet.
1: Nice. Exactly. And then after that year, I was like, man, man, I'm down to, I need to make some money, you know? And, uh, they both happened to win championships. And back then it was called Lorana which ran right down in Barstow and Lucerne Valley. And they both won championships. And probably within two and a half weeks, I had 17 motors lined up in my shop. And that was the beginning of.
0: And, and the difference in technology that they were using, like, so you go from full tilt, 250 horsepower street, you know, drag cars to like, now you're thinking, man, this is cake, dude. Like little 1600s. Yes. And then you're just, you're just taking the mentality of the high RPM, drag motors and putting it into the off-road engines i mean is there a learning curve that you're having to figure out between off-road and drag racing that, that you could take a while to get to oh yeah huge learning curve
1: you know i mean as far as that goes because the off-road side of it is way more torque based um to say it doesn't need to make big rpm power that that's you know, it really doesn't it needs to make torque mid range to pull the next gear, pull in the sand. And it yeah, took, took us 35
0: a inch, 32 inch tires. Yeah, and yeah.
1: The- it took a while to figure that out. Cam shaft wise. And a lot of these motors are spec that we do like for those cars. So they're very restricted restrictor plates under the carburetors. So there's a lot of cam technology that goes into them. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, I mean, you're always trying stuff to try and make them better. And, um, it, you know, it definitely, we had motors out there that, you know, we are always trying stuff. And, and I was fortunate. Those two guys were front runners, which made us look good. And, uh, you know, once you have the ball rolling and you have a motors coming through the shop, okay, we'll use this guy and we'll try this or we'll try that. Or, or guys would be like, Hey, get, you know, got something new and exciting and okay, we'll try it. And like I tell a lot of people, you know, one out of 10 works you yeah. know, so, so you're going to have to at least race at one race if it doesn't work, because we're not going to tear it apart right now, go right. out and race it and let's just see. But, uh, and so that's kind of how, uh, the engine shop evolved, you know, and basically it started with the VWs and it's just progressed for the last 20, what are we going on? 27, 27 years.
0: That's nuts. And so. So you're doing the you're doing the off road motors and the big the big difference that we you and I've had plenty of conversations about is like the average street guy comes and goes. Can I get 350 horsepower daily drivable for five grand? And that's like that's typically the way the street guy walks into yeah. your place. I mean, typically, yep. until someone's built a couple motors and then and then the attitude is kind of like like we'll get into how how my attitude is about motors, but like <laughs> but like when we're talking like uh for example. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm busy producing the show too at the same time, but for example, like, uh, you know, with the, with the street guy versus the off-road guy, it's like, we've got guys that run businesses and this is their hobby and pleasure and they're willing to spend the money to build, to spend, to buy the right parts, to, to just basically say, here it is, you do it the way you would do it because you're going to be the name on this motor, and there's, there's some, there's some risk there, right? Cause if you start grenading motors, like all of a sudden that kills your reputation, that goes quick.
1: Absolutely. There's, there's, there's huge risk in all of it, but in the off-road world, it's, uh, it's super competitive. It is mostly guys that don't have the mechanical aptitude to do their own. And so they would basically come to a professional, whether it's us fat or some of these other guys to have stuff done. And, uh, you know, they're coming because you have a, a reputation, you know, Hey, your stuff has been winning. Hey, your stuff lasts. you know, wow. whatever it is. And so you have to give them a quality product. And, and most of the time, I mean, they all want a quote, right? It's not just like, Hey, here's an open, no, no, checkbook, no, no. you know, but, but, but they want, they know that they're going to go beat the living crap out of it for 200,000 miles, depending on what race they're going to. And, and it's got to last. So it really comes down to the quality of parts, how it's prepared, how it's put together, how it's tuned. You know, there's just a lot to it.
0: And it, I've always kind of had the mentality of like, um, you know, w- the first guy helped me build an engine was Dino Bacalas. I think you know Dino, drag yep. racer, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And we built a little 19, uh, a 1904 for me and it was... And and I was annoying to him because I didn't know anything about building engines. And I go to his house I'm like, well, I read Gene Berg's book, and I don't want to go more than seven and a half to one compression. And it's going to be a 1904 40 by 35. You know, I ported the heads, I did all this work, and then that motor just ran fantastic. It was like a 13. I'm sorry, like a 14 o motor in full dress streetcar, like mm-hmm. alloys, adapters, interior stereo, everything. But it was like it was. You know, because I sat there reading Berg's book and like I, you'd turn the key and the car would idle. Like it would start up, like it wasn't, you know, all the detail stuff. And then when I wanted to build a big motor, then I, that's when I connected with Jim Barbeau at Des, a DRP Desert Racing Performance. Yep. And my attitude was like, well, these guys build engines that you're supposed to stand on all day. So if I'm looking for like power and daily driver, like these are my guys to go to because they know. The bottom end tricks that make it work and then all the geometry on the the math and geometry on the valves and the top end and all that stuff is kind of it is what it is and as long as that works for your application the bottom end is pretty critical because I can't tell you you know I had one motor that guy built for built a motor for me and his recipe for horsepower was just like fly cut the crap out of the heads stock crank stock everything else 120 cam in there give it back to you and then I get it and it's it's bleeding oil from the bottom of the cooler. You know what I mean, like yeah. the, the that, that little angle there where yep. you get those crack cases from. Yep. But yep. you know, then then I move into when I'm starting to build the bus, right? And I've had all these Type Ones, and I have this conversation with a guy because I want to talk to you about Type fours a little bit because okay. you you know I'm a big Type oh, yeah. Four fan, no. No. and you it, and my philosophy. I was I remember was talking to a guy. I can't remember this guy's name, and he had a he had a panel bus, and we had met at a car show for a few minutes and we were talking on the Samba and he's like, bro, I'm going type four. You know, you should think about type four. Cause I was building the bull run bus and he's like, you know, type four is 90% German parts and you're starting with a two liter engine. And it's like, you're going to, you're going to feel the torque. It's going to be different. Cause so we start talking about torque and horsepower and all this kind of stuff. And then when I, so, you know, and I went for a ride and with Jim's, I think it was a class two car that had type fours in it, yep. oh, but it yeah. just, this wicked looking motor, like a Porsche shroud, all yep. the stuff. And yep. this is like early nineties. And I'm like, bro, I need one of these. Cause it's pushing this, this race car. It's got 35 inch tires on it. And this freaking thing's hauling the mail. And I, I go type four. My first thing out of the gate was like, I remember it was funny because my philosophy behind the engine building is like, I want to drive this car and not worry about it. So I remember my first engine that, it built, that, that I had built in the Bull Run bus. It's $8,500 turnkey from Jake Raby. Oh, yeah. 2270, had the carbon Kevlar shroud, the 911 setup, like all that stuff. And all my buddies are like, bro, you're crazy, dude. 8500 bucks, dude. Bro, you're getting like, like, like the mentality somehow in the street scene seems to think like motor should be two grand. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, like And I don't know where it comes from because yeah. everybody just thinks like, oh, slap you know, cut the cut bump, the horsepower fly, cut the heads and you got power. But it's like that motor that's in that bus, the heads have never been off that motor in well, since 2001. That's when I got that motor and that bus has been everywhere and back. And, and, and with the development of the motor, it's it's a, it's like a equivalent to a 1641. Now what's your, and the biggest thing for me is like, what surprised everybody is torque. Yeah. Torque is what you feel. Horsepower is what you hear and makes your teeth rattle. Yeah, there you go. You know what I mean? But when do you start because because in the off-road scene where you're at, now you start with VW engines, you obviously you have to end up doing type fours. Absolutely.
1: We uh, you know, we started with all the smaller classes, uh, and and at that time all the class one cars were running type fours. And,
0: um, these are class ones, class one. So these Open, are like
1: unlimited buggy. Basically, this is before do, the trucks are a big deal. This is before the trucks are a big deal. This is back when class ones overhauled everything. And and this is probably the mid nineties. The trucks were just kind of getting there. Um, and we got hooked up with, uh, the guys over at Wilson Motorsports and, uh, they had some type fours that literally Don hats at the time. Who's a. Uh, an off-road builder. That's, you know, just an awesome dude still around. He, uh, he was going to retire. And, uh, and so they kind of reached out to me and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing some type fours? And I said, Oh, absolutely. But I can remember first getting those motors in and we had never really worked on type fours. It was like, <laughs> man, where do we find these parts? You know, but, uh, it was the same stuff, you know, everything's made aftermarket.
0: and now, I'm going to ask you this question. So when you start digging into the type four, is it, I mean, obviously it's similar enough, but you got torque specs that are different. You got, and there's a lot of secret. I don't want to say secret stuff, but like recipes for power and longevity. So you reach out to this guy that's retiring. You reach out well, to him and get some like, Hey man, give me some insight on how to build. So these
1: Don, Don would tell us whatever. And I can remember talking to my good friend, Mike Stapleton, who actually took care of their program. And he says, "Uh, well, you know, what kind of sealer do you use for this? And what kind of sealer do you use for that? And I'm like, "Uh, well, we just use this high temp, whatever for this. And he goes, oh, well, Don has this tray with all these different sealers and it depends what part it is, where it goes in the motor. He has a different sealer for everything. Well, you do enough air cooled stuff and you have that tray. Trust me, because they can leak out of every orifice. There Wait, is. it's no, bro. Yeah.
0: My understanding from the streets, it's RTV on everything. No, dude. no, no. 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 That oh, heck no. Work. Well, different
1: grades of RT3. You know, I mean, it's like, we, like,
0: you know, it's sealed when it's red and oozing through the case house, <laughs> that just, bro. That just that, means it's oozing no. on the inside, too, you know? So,
1: <laughs> but uh, we did. We reached out to Don and he helped us great. You know, I mean, he was like, no problem. And, uh, You know, we plucked our way through there and learned it and and it was uh you know, that was our first kind of these type fours at the time, they were twenty eight hundred cc's. So they're eighty strokes, one
0: oh three bore. But you're getting you're getting counterweight welded cranks, right? These aren't new forged cranks. these, These are
1: forged cranks from uh, scat made all the cranks at oh, the time really? you know we would use uh, gorilla rods or, or bug pack H beams, JE pistons um, we would use stock castings on the heads and we'd look for of course you'd want your uh, 914 2 liter head was the ideal head mm-hmm. but finding those heads was like pulling teeth right and so we did have those and so we learned real quick that okay this is what we need to find and, and kind of have in our arsenal and uh you know, they were just basically an opposed big Type One, but just a you big, know. So big, what's your
0: what's your impression the first time you drive a Type Four? Oh,
1: unbelievable! You know, you're like, I, man, I feel like a V eight in the back. No, of the it's thing. just yeah, the torque curve on a Type Four because of the cylinder head and just cubic inches, it's just it just I I don't care a two liter Type One or a two liter Type Four. There's just a night and day difference. Now, don't get me wrong, a Type Four does not want to rev. No, like they're, they're they're a they're six thousand RPM max. Even when you do all the bells and whistles, okay, you might run them sixty five hundred, but uh, you know, but they are just animals from three to six thousand.
0: And in your experience, building because this is not going to be the Type Four show, guys, don't worry, but it could be. <laughs> but in your experience, bottom end back then in those days when you were building them. After a season, you're just trashing the Type 1 case and you can reuse the Type 4 case? Oh,
1: for sure. The Type 4 case is aluminum stock. so and, Bulletproof. And bulletproof. I mean, let's face it. We would take type ones and put type four main journal cranks in them, right? I mean, that was the big trick still is, you know, type four center main, type four mains to make the overlap of the crank and make everything stronger. So that was already stock with a type four. The cases were already aluminum with a type four. So the case was much stronger. You just didn't have the problems you had with magnesium cases. So, I mean, the biggest downfall for the type four is the head stud spread and where the spark plug location is in the in the combustion chamber, it basically has a weak part up in that head area, and and wants to lift the head. Um, that's why fat and all these guys would fist stud them. We would fist stud them. We'd put another stud right up there to hold clamp the head down. And uh, we'd make copperhead gaskets for them.
0: We do, but on those on those off road cars, one of the recipes for power is once you get displacement, then it becomes compression. Is that right? Oh yeah,
1: but but we still we didn't run anything over eleven to one would be a super high compression motor. Type four, type four, super high. You know, and
0: on the type one race engines, the type one off road engines, do you run compression the, that the, high? Oh, the small little sixteen hundreds, thirteen to one. Really?
1: Yeah, we, we'd we run them. 12.8 was pretty standard, still is to this day. 12.8 on the 16, 1, 2, 1600s. The only thing that limits us from going more is we're not allowed to cut notches in the pistons. Right. So the val- with the cams that we run nowadays, the valves hit the pistons. You know, I mean, so, you, you know, you can get them about, depending on the cam and lobe separation of where you install it, you can get them about, a 13 to 1 is about it. But if somebody... Over revs it, you're probably bending some valves. So that's nuts. Yeah, the Type Four is by hands down just a much beast of a motor.
0: And so, talking a little bit about the, just specifically off road wise, what killed the Type Four in off road racing? Cars,
1: cars get bigger. Um, sh- you know, everything. Cars get bigger, and what happens with the evolution in the off road side? And I've I've seen it all the way to to present time is shock absorbers get better tires get better now you can go faster you can go faster well pretty soon we're driving these type fours just literally wide open all day long well now that's the weak link so first thing guys started putting his you know six-cylinder porsches in well now the motor's got enough power you'd break the car yeah once we get the car developed now you're breaking the motor and then it was a v6 odd fire v6 you know then we did scat v4s for a while and uh even the very first time we built LSs and put basically crate LS motors that were 400 horse in these cars, it was like, Oh man, we'll never need anything more than that. Well, as the shock absorbers get better and the suspension gets better and everything gets better pretty soon, we're taking those motors and you're driving them wide open all day long. Well, the motor just won't make it, you know? And so there's always a weak link, you know, the cars have gotten bigger, everything gets heavier and you just need more power to
0: push it. Yeah, that was the amazing thing to me. You know, my first experience with, because I've never been into the off-road scene and all that kind of stuff. I mean, other than the first bug I rode in was my buddy, Rich Petrie's, and we're doing donuts in the parking lot of the pizza place because it's raining and it's got skinny bias plies on the front, big old knobbies on the back. It's like the old bug eye mm-hmm. kid on it. And, you know, but other than just like ripping through dirt tracks and stuff like that or dirt lots w- with an off-road car, we never, I never really did anything like that. So my first experience with it is over at Jim's place at DRP. Sure. And he had just, he he was running a race program for a guy that made the bedliners. And I can't remember the guy's name, but that guy had a a class one car and a class two car. And Jim was building, And I remember seeing the motor and he had this Porsche motor in the back of this type class one car. And I think this might have been like, like this car was the hot ticket in 88. Sure. And now it's like 93, 95. These cars are sitting in the corner of the shop like that he's like, yeah, that motor near buds, 30 grand, now 30 grand and 88 for a motor was a lot lot. that's like a $75,000 motor. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's like, and my experience with that was, I said, Jim, dude, take me for a ride in that car. And so he's like, all right, hop in, bud. So, you know, the battery's like down low underneath and we go take a, take off across a Quendo over there and the car stalls out. He's like, Hey bud, you know, I don't know if you know Jim Barbo, but he's a little bit hillbilly. He's, he's my dog, man. Jim is my dog. Uh and and. He he says, Hey bud, go back to the shop, get the get the manks, let's jump this thing. So I go get the jumper cables and I'm like, well, where's the battery? He's like, it's underneath. So it's underneath. I'm I'm behind the back tire, like underneath connecting the jumper cables. He goes, I'ma fire it up and get going. <laughs> well, I didn't know that means he was gonna pelt me with like a thousand rocks and twos cause that's off road racing. Sure, it's like sure. and Jim was a little bit crazy. And so, you know, he just like sidestepped the clutch. I never got to ride in that car, but I got to see him jumping over by the railroad tracks and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you, you'd see, I would see like crazy technology that was nowhere near the street scene. No. Big, huge brakes. I mean, all yep. kinds of stuff. And we see how that that progression evolves and eventually makes its way down. Like when I had Kevin with uh, that sells the Mendiola chassis, which are now the cool ride yep. chassis. I talked to him about that and Mendiola was real tight with Fox and Fox engineers designed the air arm suspension that goes under the beetle for the street. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's kind of that cheating, yeah. but you know what I mean? Not really cheating, but it's like you have a company that does suspension geometry and now you, now you get to the point where there's barrier to entry is the cost. So that's what, that's what moves that level up. But you know, the, 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 off-road scene in and of itself has pushed technology so far. And I think one, because I would say in the off-road scene, it's 10 to one motors built versus the street scene, at least 10 to one on engines being built. Even I'm talking against daily drivers and all stuff because the off-road guys build motors Oh on, yeah, on the reg, you know what I yeah. mean?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would definitely tell you that. I mean, that's, that's been our business for, you know, 27, 28 years. Um, do we do street stuff? Absolutely. But it's probably 10 to one, you know,
0: but, and, and you, you built a, you rebuilt the motor that's in my crew cab, yes. the carbon cab, the, I think it's 2600 and that yep. bad boy. And, uh, I'm so used to a type four, like it's just expected. And I'm excited to get my split back because my split's got a type four in it too, but a, a type four, a big type four in a bug for a street driver. Is just a straight kick in the pants. Oh, it's got to be because I'm it's ne- a it's a tire one. roaster, especially with small st- like like if you got a tire total height is like twenty eight inches and you're yeah. just like, yeah. I mean the thing gets so squirrely. and it just like it like I said it feels like a V eight in the back. So I'm super stoked to get that back. But I, I've always been such a fan of Type fours, but, but they're two different ends of the spectrum, right? Like the Type one is because you know I got the chop car out here now, and I, I was thinking there, today, I thought you know that car deserves to be like clean it up like where it is but i really should set it up where i could quarter mile that car if i wanted to it's a 2300 in there it's got the 48s wouldn't take much to set it up to where i could just you know take it out and run it down the track a couple of times if i could get a 12 second pass out of it i'd be stoked yeah you know what i mean but it's like the the type 1 has a different kind of like type 1 is like push it as far as you can and wind it out and do all that stuff totally different in in the type 4
1: absolutely you know type 4 is just a uh I would tell you a touring car. Motor. It's the
0: 454. <laughs> there you go. It's the four. It's the tow rig for the race car. There you go. You know well, what I mean? That's
1: probably perfect
0: analogy <laughs> there. Because you know, when it comes down to it, there's the analogy or, of or, or the saying: "There's no replacement for displacement." And I've always, I, I could never figure out why people just never like would do because realistically if a guy's trying to build a big motor on the cheap and you found a stock type for blown out heads you buy a set of heads you reuse everything else most of the stuff's going to be decent the crank sure. will be decent the rods will be yeah. decent and you could probably get maybe a hundred hundred five horse out of the thing and 90 pounds of torque or a hundred you know what i mean like
1: oh a two liter would probably make probably makes more than
0: that you know what i mean i'm yeah. just trying to be conservative but yeah. I, I can never figure out why that never took off with the street crowd. Like why? The-
1: I think it's just uh, it's not as accessible and easy to get all the pieces. The yeah, bright shrouds, and if you're gonna put a 911 fan in it, I mean that stuff's cost That's money. That's you know? fifteen hundred bucks. Fifteen, two thousand so, bucks. So when you start looking at, and I look at it, go when you know a gasket kit alone. Let's just say a VW Type One gasket kit's twelve bucks. A dude, a Type Four kit is probably fifty. Yeah. You know, I mean, so it's like, th- there's just a big difference, you know, I mean, main bearings are double or triple what a set of type one bearings are. And so I think for the VW side of it, for the, for the average dude, it's just kind of out of their wheelhouse and it's, it's too much money. Yeah. So, um, for the pure enthusiasts like yourself. Yeah. You know, I mean, type four, you know, if I was going to build a, a, a driver street car, you know, I'd probably put a 26, 2700 cc Type Four in it, and just it'd be just you know great.
0: That'd be something you could just park in the garage, drive it once a month, it fires it, up, and it's just torquey, drive and just, it
1: wherever you want, and yeah. you know, and go from there.
0: I mean, that's what we were looking at. This. We were looking at my square back when we came in here, and I and I I'm I'm negotiating with a dude. <laughs> I like that. I offered this guy five hundred bucks for a Subaru to get the motor out of it, and he he was like he was asking eight hundred or a thousand, and I'm like I didn't care. I didn't need like. You've seen my yard here. I don't, I don't even know the car. Yeah, you got plenty of cars. Yeah. So I told the guy I said, I'll give you five hundred. He texted me today, he's like, All right, man, I'll take the five hundred. My only concern is the car doesn't run because the fuel pump's out, but um as we're sitting here talking back and forth, I have several pancake type four core motors that are sitting in my brother's shop. I've got a, a 914 2 liter one, which I'm saving for my next my next type thirty-four project because what I want to do is do, you know, a nine fourteen stroke you know the nine fourteen heads bore stroke and build that to where it's like a nice like something I could get into, like you said, get into and drive it. My only reservation with doing the Subi swap and that is all the rated or the plumbing the that stuff. Everything else for the most part's pretty turnkey. And the thing with the tech and that's the thing you, you battle like it's the technology. It's the it's the echo tech of what fits in a Volkswagen. Yeah. yeah. You know what I, I mean?
1: I have the same thing going on with a a, a fabricator here in town. Kevin Bunderson's building the one of the Monster Manx, and he's doing a full A-arm Manx. And uh, he had originally got a Type 4 for it. And then he goes, you know, I think I'm going to put an Echo tech in it. What do you think? I go, well, they're pretty bulletproof, this and that. But you have to put radiators, and you have to have all the electronics. And And so he sent me over a, a nice Type 4, and, and uh, we put it on the dyno, and we ran it. And I go, I got to be honest, this thing's – a pretty good little motor. I'd, I'd probably just, it's for simplicity reasons, just if you, done. You're done. Bolt you put it this in thing you're in, done. you know, carburetors, you could work on it anywhere and it, you're done. No radiators, no hoses, no wiring. And he's like, okay sold that's what we're doing you know so did
0: he get like a like an old off-road takeout motor like yeah somebody echo tech he, he, and he's, he's like
1: he's a builder an off-road guy I've been doing it forever huh? and he got himself a it's a nice motor 2800 the only thing we're looking for is we're going to put the 911 fan kit on it because i it know just, a guy uh, who
0: makes those yeah
1: so uh, we're going to do that <laughs> and then uh, you know but other than that it's a nice little motor and and i go man i think you're you know it's simple Right. You know, when you start and transplanting that, the Subi into that thing, you're going to be like, the thing. oh, my It's God. like
0: I already cut the holes underneath on the square back to do the grill. And I'm like, well, you know, I do that. Then I just got to run the lines and do this and do that. And, and that's that's a whole ordeal in and of sure. itself. But it's it's like, yeah, but once it's running, it's like one hundred and seventy horsepower. That's just this linear power curve with a built in rev limiter overhead cam. And just it's a different kind of. Yeah. power, you know, so, and that's the thing, if if I had it my way, and I could just drop it off, pick it up, and it's done for a reasonable amount of cash, I'd be super stoked to do that, but it's almost like us as VW guys, we're real do-it-yourselfers, like we all want to do we want to have some part of the job, Sure. you know what I mean? It's kind of ridiculous, because if you're smart step back, let the guy who knows what he's doing do it, and just enjoy it you know, drive it around and be happy, but I think you know, I love street cars. I, I for the street cars, I love Type 4s. If I'm trying to go fast, straight line, quarter mile, there's no questions. Type one, a hundred percent. I mean, the, that's hundred percent. In your opinion, is has the biggest development? What has been the biggest development in the Type One from when you started racing till now to make them more relevant and accessible and all that kind of stuff? What's been the biggest change? Cylinder head development,
1: airflow. You know, that's, that's, you know, cranks are cranks, rods are rods, that stuff. You could have a bird crank from 1980s and it's still a top of the line piece. Um, but all the different cylinder head stuff, whether it's uh, AutoCraft craft um, component developments, all the stuff that CB does with CNC ported, you know, 044s and, and just the valve train stuff that has been uh, the, the biggest development, what made these motors make more power, last longer. Um, period. I mean, has
0: that been like, is is there from an off-road standpoint? I mean, your name is on these motors. Does that make it like, is the biggest thing that could jeopardize your reputation crap parts that you're getting from supposedly reputable uh, suppliers? Absolutely. That's
1: well, motor failure, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what part is in there. If that thing finishes the race, it's good. Right. That's what the owner thinks. Um, it might be hurt or junk or worn out, but, um, the quality of the stuff that comes out of a lot of these places nowadays is just everything has to be checked. I mean, we have more tools, mics, machinery to resurface, rebore and, and redo stuff, you know, and, and everything just 100% gets checked. We have to, cause and- our name's on it. And, and we, we do a higher end version, you know, I mean,
0: well, it's what you do every, because when, when you set out to build a motor, motor whether it's a streetcar or race car, the, 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 the prep work <laughs> is the same either so, way. It
1: doesn't matter if you're building a two liter street motor or we're building you a full blown race motor, we're bore gauge and we're file fitting. We're miking everything. We're pin fitting pistons and rods. We're setting cam timing, setting geometry. We are doing it the same way, no matter what. Uh, that's just how we do it. That's why you come to Wix racing. You know I mean? Uh, bottom line, we're, we're not going to shortcut it because our name's there, you know,
0: and, and percentage of parts that get touched on a build that come out of a box from a supplier percentage of parts that you have to, you have to modify touch or alter. Percent.
1: Eighty-five percent, eighty-five percent, eighty-five percent. Even even bearings. I mean, we go through and have to handpick bearings. We'll get certain bearings, and you you know you put let's just say the camshaft in, and camshaft won't even spin. You know, you're like, what the heck? Grab another set of bearings, and it's fine. They look visually fine, but there's definitely something wrong. You know, and they're definitely not made right. So I'm going to tell you at least eighty-five percent.
0: You know, so eighty-five percent of the parts and pieces you touch. Oh yeah. Now. As things have evolved in the off-road scene, because I want to touch on a couple things here. One, you end up moving to Las Vegas, to my city. Yeah, which you're welcome and thank you. And uh, It's because we get, we get a good engine builder here, because uh, you know you need that. Uh, but what what drives you to come out here to Vegas, and how does that how does that come around? And, and what was it like leaving California?
1: So, born and raised in Orange County, um, basically in the off-road scene, building motors, doing that and uh, did lots of motors for people in Vegas, but, you know, Orange County, Arizona, all that, and uh, basically met my wife through the racing. Um, she she raced 1,600 cars and started doing her engines and uh, spent a lot of time up here, you know, coming up and helping her, and, you know, we dated for, ah, I don't know, five, six years probably, and I was at a point where it was like, Man, um, she's not gonna move here because she has a flooring company and does commercial flooring, a lot of casinos and right, conventions and all that. Yeah. And and so my option is to move up here and uh gotta be honest, with the off-road, with the drag strip, with the lake. Um, I was like, heck, why not? Um, you know, at this point, I'm gonna let's just do it, you know. I'm gonna move up here, I'll move my shop up here. And at the time, you know, uh, at the time I was in California and I had 3000 square feet and I think I had five guys working for me. And, and it was, you know, we did a lot of sand car stuff. We did a little bit of everything. And, and, uh, it was like, ah, I'm good. I'm going to move up there. I'm going to have one little helper and I'm just going to scale it back and, and I'd be good, you know? And, and so I ended up moving up here and, and I ran two shops for a while. I had my shop in Orange County and my shop up here, but that got to be just too much. So I sold my shop in Orange County to uh, George Jimenez, which I went to high school with, actually junior high. I've known him that long. Really? And uh, and I told him, hey, man, I'm leaving. You put your name on the door and you know, not all my clients are going to follow me up here. There's no doubt you'll have work. And it took me a while to convince him. Um, and, and finally he, he said, okay. And so I sold him everything, my dyno and all the stuff down there. Cause by this time I had two of pretty much two of everything. And, uh, he's still up in business today and we're, we're actually competitors. but very good friends, you know, talk to him probably once a week. And, and I moved up here and kind of put a shop together, uh, right around the corner from your, from your house here. I've kind of been in the Southwest portion of, uh, Vegas since for 20 years and, and just slowly, but surely, uh. Now, as you made this my home,
0: as you came out so, okay. So I'm just asking this question for, would you go back to California or stay here?
1: That's a tough one. You know, there are certain things about Cali that I love. You just know. the
0: weather, bro. Just say it. Yeah, just the weather. the weather is nice. It's great.
1: Before this COVID it wasn't even, you know, I mean, I would tell you, like I tell people, Vegas is a great place, easy to get in and out of. I can be at the airport in 15 minutes from my house, sitting at Southwest fly anywhere in the country, mm-hmm. the lake, the desert the drags, the mountains. I mean, I love to fish. I go to Mammoth at least two, three times a year going up to the Sierras and fishing. I can get there quicker than my buddies from Orange County. Yeah. So, so it's really pretty good place. Yeah. Three weeks out of the year, it's super hot and three <laughs> weeks out of the year, it's windy and cold, but you get used to it. And, and I, I think to, at this point I'm 51 years old and I think, you know, if I moved, where would I move to? Well, I could definitely tell you, I could probably live down in, you know, uh, Bonzel My niece lives in Bonzel and, and we spend time down in Del Mar and Solana beach and all that. And we love it down there, but holy cow. You're going to
0: trade your cost. Of, you're going to oh, yeah. trade how you live here. Yeah.
1: And the traffic down there anymore. Every time I go down there, cause I do go down there quite a bit the traffic is just like it never used to be like this you know yeah and uh, i laugh when people say vegas has traffic i'm like this ain't traffic you know so i I gotta tell you i probably wouldn't you know i probably
0: i'm good where i'm at i think you know not to make this commercial vegas but i love my city so much just because there's an overabundance of convenience here this town no matter how big it gets it's still 30 minutes from one side of town to the other you know and the, like I said, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of traffic, but I I just love like it's car it, it's it's got the benefits of California by being it's car season all year long, and then here you and I can hop in our little side by side machine within a, a, a two or three block drive, we can find a patch of desert, and then you know like for us here in in Vegas. Uh, like during the wintertime when it's cool like this, what we'll do is, you know, I'm going to put my new clutch on my side by side. I'm going to hop on my side by side, probably Saturday afternoon, take a ride out to the, the pioneer saloon over there and get myself some lunch or dinner and just take a cruise back. But it's like these, like you can't do that in California.
1: No, no. And that is true. I mean, cause I do do that. We do that ourselves. (coughs) And, uh, the other big thing is for the off-road side of it, uh, Oh, we're going to go test? Okay, 15 minutes. I'm out testing in some of the best desert tracks so that we have right unless
0: you're my neighbor and then you just like he just pulls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he just pulls right out of this sh- uh, jumps the tracks and then what <laughs> yeah
1: and, and I like, look at it go all my clients in orange county it's a two and a half hour drive to barstow to go test to you go know test. and i go you know you forget that how convenient it is and and we have a lot of friends that come into town it's like the best entertainment the best food do we go hang out at the strip no i never go down there i couldn't tell you you know you don't even know it's down there when you live here but uh but when you want to go down there and have yeah, a world, great dinner, world class,
0: whatever you want,
1: whatever you want, and yeah. so it, it is a pretty good town. But you guys don't need to move here, you know. Yeah, that's all. You guys good, just it's crowded enough?
0: Stay, mm-hmm. stay, stay back there. But you know, I look at uh, you know, and the VWC out here has been continually growing because that that was kind of one of our things back here. Was like, I mean, like even you, once you sold, once you sold your car, I don't have you had a street car since then. I have not, It's my mission on Let's Talk Dubs to get this deadbeat of vw bro because i'm like worn out with you not having a vw (laughs) you should have the fastest street car on the street yeah well like
1: it might be in the works i got i got some stuff (laughs) brewing
0: but i mean it would just be you know there's so many it's it's funny because there's so many vw people here in this town that vws are like they're either like for either their business or they race them or they do whatever but these guys are all low key and it's like, the, it's, it's funny because the scene here, you know, we're talking to Kyoki with you and he like, he's like, I don't, I don't care for the drama in the scene and all that stuff. And it's funny because you get, that happens. It oh, happens yeah. in any race scene where you're oh, at. Absolutely. If you've got a fast car and then somebody's, and now, especially with like the internet, it used to be like, whoever's coming out to the street races can talk crap. Well, if you didn't got to go to the street race anymore. You just get an Instagram, talk some trash or whatever. And you know, social but, media doesn't, yeah. you can do it right there. But I, but you know I I love that this town's been progressively growing as a VW scene and there's we have, you know, especially with the advent of events and stuff that we're having out here, you know, I think within a few more years with the Let's Talk Dubs events that we did out here which everybody loved, um, it'll just continue to keep growing and we'll just keep working on building up to where Vegas was cuz before the two places that put on shows before had this big old fallen out, this was becoming one of the biggest places to have a show because of the drag strip you know the holes you should do a drag strip out there yep. they would do the drags and then and, and the tough part about the drags like you said it's like you know you only got the small group of guys that are in it and then when you get drama in that scene and then maybe they don't like the promoter or they don't like this then it's like okay the 30 guys 15 are coming well 15 doesn't pay enough to make any purses so here these guys are dragging stuff that they've got 50 60 70 thousand dollars in a drag car and they're coming out here, and they're not going to win any money, and it's just going to cost, cost, cost. That's the hard thing. Yeah, and and so that's where, like, I think on the off road side, there's been so much, and there's like this renewed growth in off road recently. I mean, I've been seeing like the class eleven cars have been going through the roof. You know, I mean, it's, yeah,
1: the class eleven things really came back strong because, uh, believe it or not, they've just uh, there's some money. They're, they they put up a couple uh, big purses for like a four basically a four race deal you could win twenty thousand dollars even though these guys probably have double that in their class 11 car but they go man i could go win twenty thousand dollars i'm building one you know and and it's cool you know and and i think the vw scene definitely is coming back because a lot of the guys we do motors for they're in their 40s maybe even 50s they have some money now they're kind of settled kids are grown and they're like you know what i had this cool i want i want to build a car like I used to have, you know? And so that's what we see, you know, we see, you know, guys coming in and going, "Nope, I'm restoring this car. I finally found what I wanted and I'm going to do it right. And yeah, it's going to be a project, but I'm willing to spend the money and do it really nice.
0: And you're seeing also resurgence in, in restoring of like, classic race cars now. Like there's a whole isn't there a whole thing with there's, like vintage there, race cars? There's a now? whole
1: thing with vintage race cars whether it, uh, the off-road side of it's been huge because uh the Nora group has put on what's called the Mexican 1000 and and it started out to be just kind of a rally to where it was all vintage cars. And so it's been going on, hmm, probably at least 4, maybe 5 years. And so these guys are finding their cars that they ran in the 80s or 90s and they're getting them back, restoring them pristine like they were i mean all from motors everything like nicer than they were nice oh way nicer than they were <laughs> and then they go and do these rally races and basically it's a anywhere from 100 to maybe 250 miles a day and at the end of each day there's a, a big party and dinner and the whole nine yards and it's about a week-long race that happens down in the uh, baja peninsula and it usually goes from ensenada all the way down to cabo and and it's just, I've never done it personally, but everybody's like, you got to do it. It's a great time. You know, it's just it's not the pressure of the big races yeah. And, and it's just a lot of fun. So, you know, a lot of guys are doing that. And, and, uh, even, even on the V8 side guys are, you know, restoring,
0: you old know, Broncos, well, Broncos and, and even
1: the, the drag race side, I think they had a thing at the winter nationals this year where they brought some old, uh, pro stock cars that were from back in the days, whether these guys restored, you know, a, a Jenkins car, a grumpy Jenkins car, a Bob Glidden car. Or, you know, I think there was a Lee Shepard car. I mean, there was, you know, you were like, Oh my God. Yep. I remember watching that when I was in high school, you know, and, and these guys have restored them all back to what they were. It's kind of really cool.
0: Yeah. And that's, and that's, what's uh, interesting to me about, you've got the dichotomy of like a really expensive new race car. And then an old race car that's worth technically nothing. And now those cars that are technically worth nothing are gonna start going up in value yeah. because everybody threw that part away, everybody got rid of it because it was the old technology. And now it's like if you're looking to build like a like a 1988 class one, restore a wow. class one, like
1: go over to Valley Performance, my buddy Butch Dean yeah. over there. <laughs> Dig yeah. through his piles because he's got it. Anybody that's looking for that stuff, he literally, Oh yeah, I still have some of that. And yeah. and he still has cars and trailers, you know, and uh and but that is that is the case you know finding all that stuff and even if you find it it's like okay remachining it remaking it
0: you know well and and i would assume i don't know this for a fact but i would assume in the off-road, throughout the past twenty-five years, there's been plenty of companies that have come and gone. Like, here's a new company that makes the hottest this, this, and this, and they were in business for three years. Now they're out of business, and now that becomes like, oh, if you can find that one yeah. real rare vintage thing, they only made yeah. it from '88 to this, and all the Class One cars had it, or had whatever it. Yeah. the case is. And,
1: and and that is it, you know. I mean, and it's you know, it's it's still a small little group, but uh, it's that is kind now, of the
0: wave. How's the off-road community as far as like? Because we talk about on this podcast a lot how the VW community is real. They're real. Um, if you're coming in on the street scene with like a new suspension, and new this, and new that, they're super critical about everything that you do. And they may not be as welcoming to new ideas. How is the off-road community to that and also like new people getting into the scene? like
1: New people getting into the scene, they welcome them. That That's part of it. Like we want the people. I mean, that's not even an issue. Change. That is definitely, you know, you have to sometimes change with the times. So, so what we ran in the eighties or nineties, you know, it's just not doing it anymore or it's just, uh, failing or breaking or this. And so in the off-road side of it, we've done a lot of rule changes on the motor side of it. Now we have like pump gas motors. That's a version for certain classes that are become very popular because it's more cost effective, um, and some of the old time guys are not down with it, you know, but like the newer guys go, man, I can't afford to take my motor out every two races and send it to Wix to have them redo right. it, you know? And, uh, and so we, you know, they go, okay, well, we're going to have a couple options for you guys. And, and, and I think, uh, it's definitely helped. There's classes that were kind of dwindling and going away that if they just quit changing the rules, leave them the way they are, they're going to come back.
0: And, well, and that's kind of what pushes people out of it is sure. you, it's typically, Everybody gets it. It's just like drag racing. Everybody gets into it because they, they, they a, got a car. They think it's a little bit fast and it hasn't cost them a lot of money so far. Yeah. And it all starts like that. And when you can, what starts all these things is like, if we can have a scene and that scene is competitive and anybody can get into it, you're going to see it explode. Absolutely. Because the barrier to entry is so low. People get into it and then they get hooked with like, they love the thing, which is probably, I would assume, I don't know this for a fact, but I would assume side by side classes are pretty,
1: Monster. Yeah. I mean, that is the new up and coming thing. And and I shouldn't even say up and coming. It's just it's, it's here. It's here. It's growing. Uh the guys that are, you know, building high-end off-road parts for the buggies and 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 trophy trucks have now looked at that and gone, okay, that's the new Volkswagen world. You know, and you know, I just talked to my friend Doug Fortin, who does Transaxles and hubs and, and he does can stuff stuff can't build it fast enough yeah. he jumped on that a couple about a year ago and he's like dude it's it's just when you go out to the races there is just a ton of them
0: i one, what's crazy and it, just from my side you know that's my that's my weapon of choice in the off-road world because i drove a lot of street cars i'm like i don't want to drive a beam car in the dirt because no. you know to me it's like when I get my Can-Am, I mean, I was blown away when I rode my Polaris Ranger twelve years ago. Like, man, look at this thing, just eats it up, you know. And then the technology difference. I remember, you know, I went, we went up to our cabin and we're going through some trails, and I'm driving a Polaris One Thousand. Somebody's following me in my Polaris Ranger, and I'm like, bro, drive the drive the One Thousand. I'll drive the Ranger because you're going too slow. It wasn't they were going too slow. The wheelbase is too short, and there's no travel in suspension. And you, you get so accustomed to the modern technology. I'm trying to keep up with the Polaris in this Ranger thinking like they're just driving like a grandma. And I, I mean, the back wheels are coming off the ground. I mean, this thing has got no travel, no no wheelbase. But the technology is so incredibly far. Like my Can-Am 1000. They're amazing. Oh, my gosh, bro. I take that thing to Baja and I'm like 42 miles an hour is my number where I'm running across a whoop road. And I'm going across, there's like a, there's a, there's a trail out of San, not out of San Felipe, but on the, coming out of uh, um, Bay, it might be Bay of LA, I'm not sure, but there's like 10, whoop road, like 10 miles of whoops, and these are, Three foot deep, ropes oh, yeah,
1: and it goes right over the top. Yeah. And-
0: I'm just like skipping, and I'm like, this off road racing's no big deal, <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you were in a, if you are in a Myers Manks doing that, you're gonna vomit. You're gonna yeah. vomit four minutes in, and you got another two hours to go. Yeah, because you could do it at twenty. No,
1: you you nailed it. The the Polaris's and the Ams are just uh, unbelievable. Yeah, especially for the price point, right? Well, yeah, you know.
0: I mean, look, honestly, if you bought a bone stock one, and you were racing anything else that was home built. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no competition, yeah, because the technology and design that's in these new things, but it makes it, it makes people. I mean, I remember the first hour I'm out there when I on my trip we're going on the Baja when I'm leaving leaving San Felipe. And I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm flying down the power line road. You know, the power line road in San Felipe that everybody that's yeah, Zoo Road, yeah. Zoo What's road. it called? Zoo Road. Zoo Road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Non racer, racer. Right. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. But I'm hauling down there. and I'm psh- it's like it what's so crazy is like all these trails that just split off and cross over oh, yeah. and it's like pick a line, okay, you know, whatever, but you're you're when you're moving that fast, and that's where a lot of these cause you see these new things getting wadded up on the daily because there's so much power. Wow,
1: they just go way too fast for what they are, and and they don't have the driving skill. They don't have the skill. I mean, off-roading is in off-road racing, I tell everybody, it's the only racing organization that basically if your checkbook's big enough and you can write the check, you could go race the elite class of trophy truck tomorrow. Yep. You can't do that in NHRA. You can't do that in NASCAR, IndyCar, no other sport. Yeah. But in, in off-road, oh, man, you got the money? You want to run on, the big dogs? <laughs> Come on over, you know? And it's just like that I've said forever. They need to have some type of licensing process to where, hey, you got to run in these lower classes for at least X amount of races because you're seeing it with the player side-by-sides. You go spend, let's just say $20,000 on a side-by-side and these cars go way too fast and, and really
0: way too fast because driving in the dirt is a completely different different technique. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of people just think like I rode with a guy at the sand dunes and I thought to myself, the only reason this guy's not dead is because he's got unbelievable suspension because this guy drives like an absolute buffoon and the suspension can only save you so much until until you're fighting physics. Oh, absolutely. And when you're trying to go left, and and you don't understand the role of the car or how the tires work, because it, there's there's like a whole groove to it, right? Sure. Like, and that's if you're driving a beam car versus a full travel car versus like a mid engine car or rear. Like they all have these little different characteristics. And some people, what the trick is, they get in these little side by sides and they just think. I mean, these things are engineered really, really well but you can't engineer stupid out of anything no, you can't. And, and that and, and they'll fool you. You'll really think like it's you. You're like, Oh, it's all me, bro. It's all me. Like I'm a driving machine and like put that same guy uh-huh. in, in a class five. Oh no, be, Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's
1: upside down in it, a quarter mile,
0: but it's the same thing with, with drag racing or any of these kind of yeah. stuff, which was surprising to me that your first time on the drag trip was in a pro stock car. Yeah. But I mean, you know, there's so much to be had and and it all, all of it starts with the Volkswagen. Yeah. You know what, it's what I mean? Crazy. Cause I was talking, I was, we're talking to your wife, Becky, yep. who Becky Freeman, now Becky wick, but she was Freeman has been known for racing. And I think her, her brother runs Her uh,
1: brother, uh, helps run snore. Her yeah, dad, he, her mom and dad were one of the original people that started snore, you know, yeah. back in the day. So she's been involved in it forever.
0: Yeah. And, and, and like, she's. A known racer she's she can hold her own racing i mean it's 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 a different and it's funny because you invited me out to the races with you one time and i was like i've never been to an off-road race like really check it out and like it's funny because she's 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 all business
1: <laughs> pretty much people people and she's gotten much better you know because uh, she's gotten older and now that we have a daughter she's calmed down but back in the day there, it was all business. It was like it when you showed up at the races, it was on. There was no messing around. Straight serious. You know, we put the time in, and uh, and you know, it paid off. We won a lot of races.
0: Yeah, and 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 now. I think, uh, in your opinion, is off-road racing kind of on a little bit of a rise right now? Like more people are getting into it. Has it kind of plateaued, or um, is, are you seeing generational things happen?
1: Generational things for sure. We're we're on our second generation with a lot of guys just in you know doing customer stuff. Um, you know, it has its spurts. It, you know, when economy's good, usually off-road's good. You know, the the guys that build houses and move dirt. And do yeah, this, huge huge they,
0: percentage of contractors Yeah, do that, the contractors
1: right? are kind of like the off-road guys, you know. And so uh, you know, this year with the whole COVID thing, it's it's uh, believe it or not, the races have still been pretty good because everybody wanted to get out and go go race. And so when they could, they would. So, um,
0: now you just had a race canceled last week, right? We did. It was crazy. And crazy. they canceled it like last minute,
1: last minute. So like they literally had all the qualifying on Friday. It was all done. What race was this? was this? This was the, what they called uh battle at prim, but it was, uh, out at state line snore is the organization. And, and they put on a little, it's a little 12 mile loop that's on a, uh, all private land, uh, which prim owns. And, uh, basically, uh, I don't know the exact gist of it, but, uh, they went in and, like four o'clock in the afternoon, the day before the race, all the qualifying was done, everything. They said, Oh yeah, you guys, you know, you guys can't do this. And, and, uh, so the snore organization said, well, you know, we'll pay the penalties, whatever it is just here. How would we'll go ahead and send us the, the bill. And they said, no, you don't get it. No, we're, we're canceling this. And well, just send us oh, the, so the snore People were like, we're doing this. Well, like, we're, they're kind of like, care. we're doing this, you know? And, uh, And they said, oh, you think so? And so they said, yeah. So they went ahead and went into the hotel and said, hey, if if you guys let this happen on your land, um, we're going to pull your gaming permit. Get out of here. And and so they called the snore like, Yeah, your race is over. Yeah, they said, you guys got to vacate the premises. And the worst part was, is there was another race going on in Barstow, a hundred miles away right? In California. And, and, and it's just like, are you kidding and me? And
0: usually it's the other way around. Usually it's California. That's got the it real stringent is. stuff. And,
1: and I look at it now. I, I kind of laughed because, okay, so now I'm not at the races. So I go down to home Depot and I go here and I go there and target <laughs> and wherever else. And there's just massive people everywhere. Right. And you're going here. We want to just go race out in the desert outside, outside,
0: breathe in dirt. Yeah. breathe. <laughs> and,
1: and no, you guys can't do that. You know? So it's just so
0: bogus. Yeah. It's a bummer, man. Cause I, I mean, you know, when you look at like when when the off road community rolls into San Felipe, oh, or, lot, and, lot I mean, you're of, that's a lot of money, a lot of money. You know what I mean? And it's good for the economy. It's good for a lot of things, and it it continues to keep blossoming other things. And when you start stifling things like that, I mean. It, it, it seems kind of ridiculous because so many people pr- plan and prepare and get ready for this race, and it's and it's a social thing, it's a community. And they keep poking the bear, man. I think the people are going to fight back. you know. If they... I hope
1: so. I hope so. Because, I mean, I look at it and go, I think about the money that the hotel lost because there was probably 250 entries, and that's cars, and then you have all the people that come with them. And so when you look at the income that that one little weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, and probably Sunday, and they, they needed over, it. They needed they it. They need it. Right. I mean, from all the restaurants in there, from the gambling, the bars, everything else. And you look at it and go, wow, that just costs, you know, that hotel a lot, you know? And so it's just not right.
0: No, it's a, uh, it, it's definitely something that we hope to see change. I mean, this last year, even for the show scene was just horrible. There was nothing going on as far as, car shows uh, other than just like literally a handful of things but all the big events didn't take place and uh you know hopefully that'll all change coming this year and uh i mean the hobby everything that we do the hobby the racing the everything is relying on people's extracurricular activities their hobbies sure. you know what i mean no one needs to go off-road racing no, no one needs to own an old volkswagen no but you know it's it's our it's the passion of what we do and 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 why we do it and um, you know hopefully we won't get held back too much longer because you know I mean that's the dumbest thing it's like with car shows like you're outside yeah like you go in a like you said you go in a home depot and there's massive 250 cars in the, in the parking lot yeah. and there's 500 people in the store because yeah. average are two people per car going to the store yeah. and it's like well what's what's the difference but yeah. it's i don't know it's it, it's a big drag but I'm I'm looking forward to 2021 that, that it'll be a good year and you know for, like we got hours of stuff to talk about because I got all kinds of crap to talk <laughs> to but one of the things I wanted to kind of bring around is with with the the off-road scene changing and all that stuff going on you then you then had to get into V8s
1: yeah that was a natural progression for now, did you
0: always build V8s or yeah. did you learn uh, we building were, race cars
1: we learned we learned building race cars, read lots of magazines, did, you know, this is, You know, you think about it now, it's all, I mean, I hired kids and they go, oh, how'd you learn? How to, oh, YouTube, you know, well, well the, I didn't learn that way, right. you know, everybody goes, well, who'd you work for? Uh, I never worked for anybody. I just did it. You know, I,
0: that's kind of an anomaly too, because a lot of guys, a lot of builders I talked to, a lot of people like that worked for Joe Schmo engine building yeah. and then the whatever uh-huh. or whoever uh-huh. and then.
1: Nope. Just did it, buddy. Just learned the <laughs> school of hard knocks, you know? I mean, and uh, you know, it's just, uh, to me, it's just an engine, right? Uh, I don't care if it's four-cylinder, six-cylinder, inline V. Um, so we we kind of just uh, progressed as the sport progressed and uh, got into the V8 world. You know, we did, like I said, odd fire V6s. We did some Toyota Camry V6s, Toyota 4AGs, Honda B-Series. What was the
0: worst what was the worst motor they tried to introduce into off-road racing that like didn't last long and they're done with it?
1: The Camry V6 was a uh, dual overhead cam. Um, we we didn't do many of them. Fat kind of did a bunch of them and I did a, I would say a handful of them. I'm like, okay, yeah, we're not doing those.
0: <laughs> those Way, way just, too much work and just, not enough. Just power. a lot
1: of work, not a lot of power, a lot of RPM, which is not good for off-road, you know? And so, When they went down that road, we went down the LS road. You know, we jumped into the 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 LS market and started with your LS ones, LS sixes, and
0: because I think the evolution went like VW, then Toyota the R twenty two. Like was that was that the big thing? Yeah,
1: some of that. The the VW Type Four. It it, really it was Type One, then it was Type Four. Then it was kind of like... A little bit of 9 Nine eleven 9-11 was very popular. Very popular Because this for is a long pre, time. Because this is
0: pre-Truggies. Oh, all yeah. This stuff. Oh, yeah. Herps, everybody.
1: All the big namers had 9-11s, you know. Um, I wonder where all those engines are today.
0: They're still around, I'm sure, We're you know. Around. Butch Dean's butch, place. Oh, yeah. Butch's <laughs> got a bunch, you know.
1: Um, then it went, you know, uh Oddfire V6, uh, some V4s, the guys that had What's lightweight
0: cars. What's an Oddfire V6 out of?
1: Well, that would be like your original... Um, not like a two thirty one Buick. Grand, uh, be original Bush Grand National. If you're going to the NASCAR world back in the '90s, uh-huh. you had the V8 cars and you had the V6 cars, right? So those motors were hand built Chevy block race motor. So um, and basically those trinkled down into the off road world. So they, those, didn't, they, they didn't come in any, car. and they didn't
0: have to. They probably were not even close to cheap.
1: Oh no, they're all aluminum that's an all aluminum v8 it's an expensive motor but uh those basically were there for a while and then then those basically the ls took over you know so your ls your small block uh chevy you know and those kind of took over and within the last oh i'd tell you three years four years Mm -hmm. three years i'd tell you big blocks are, are kind of making a comeback. Really? Yeah. Big blocks. Some of the guys in the very early days of trophy truck ran big blocks. Um, but then they all kind of got away from them, went back to small blocks and, uh, you know, the small blocks, uh, basically we, you know, pumped those motors up to 470 cubic inches. Right. And so now, that was, now these
0: are regular three fifties. These the are three
1: fifties originally, but now they're, all aftermarket aluminum stuff, even with the LS, the LS was, you know, LS one was pretty small cubic inch motor. And now, you know, our basic LS starts at about 430 cubic inches and goes up to 460. So, um, for an LS small block, basically based engine. So,
0: and the and the process with LS, I mean, their their the the condition of the aftermarket parts and stuff that you get quality wise compared to VW. You
1: can't even compare it. I hate to say it. You know, the LS world.
0: Like you're not you're not like, hey, put this in the bearing of the put this in the drawer of bearings that are like no a three thousandth off. No,
1: no, nope, you're not. You know, plus you can buy bearings. Oh, you need a plus one or a minus one? You can get them. You can't do that in the VW world, right? You're 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 sending cranks back to Castillo or Berg and having them take a thou off to get the right clearance. Like in the, the V8 world, that's just not how it is. Whether it's Ford, Chevy, you know, we can buy bearings like that. And, uh, and it's just cause of the quantity, right? You know, sure. there's just so many more of them. So, you know, the LS world is, uh, that motor, you know, just, they did a great job developing that. They took everything they learned from,
0: NASCAR and NASCAR, all that car
1: drag racing and kind of molded into that motor. And, and uh, it's been a, a great motor for the off-road world.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it seems to be uh, when you're at the sand dunes, it's all yeah, over. There you go. And I, you know, I got one question about the off-road. Why did the Subi never take off the Subaru motor? Cause to so, me, it seems so, like,
1: so it's funny. You say you brought up Fox and, and some of these guys, John marking, which is the guy that kind of ran Fox was one of the main guys. I think he tried to do the Subi stuff for, uh, quite a few times. Always had oily issues. Always had bottom. Oh really? Body. Oh yeah. And they never really got it sorted out. And I know out back, I think it's out back and now uh, it's called out, out, out front. front yeah. Now it's out front. John. It used to be out back, mm-hmm. but, um, they've got it sorted out, but we just, in the off-road world for what we do, they never would last. You know, everybody really? them up.
0: They'd all, it'd all be bottom end failures Bo- because of lot no of, oil. A
1: lot of bottom end failures. So at the time, I don't know. Maybe they weren't dry sumping them. Maybe they were trying to run them wet sump. They were, you know, there definitely was something going on. The
0: there. only other thing that I see that could be seriously an issue with the with the Subi setup is the timing belt.
1: You know, usually the belts are pretty good. You know, I got to be honest, the quality of the belts nowadays are are, are pretty, pretty well. Good. And
0: the only reason I say that is because my car. My sand cart left in gear in the trailer and it rocking back and forth. Ripped the belt. It didn't rip the belt. It just bumped a gear. Oh, God. Yeah. Well. And I get to the sand dunes. I I get the Glamis. So I unload my car. I'm like, let's do this. Let it let rip, Tater Chip. And I just fired up. It's like pop, 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 pop. It's like popping out of the. I'm like, oh no. Well,
1: what happens is on the new modern motors, the timing tensioners are oil pressure driven. Some of them are. So old school, it's all spring driven, right? Or it has a solid tensioner that you tension by hand and you got to twist the belt a certain amount. And okay, that's how it's supposed to be, you know? Well, the new stuff is sometimes oil pressure based. Mm. So if the doesn't motor doesn't have oil pressure, it really doesn't have a lot of tension on the belt, right? So I could see that happening. That's yeah, just
0: your I, luck. I, And luckily, my buddy that I was there was like childhood friends with John at Outfront. So oh, makes a go. phone call and he's like, all right, you got a 12-pack? Like a twelve pack case, uh-huh. he says, tear the cardboard, slide it in the gears, in the main gear, and then once you get it between the tooth and the and the belt, then you just manually slide it back to where it's supposed to be, and then pull the and then pull the piece of cardboard out, and you're you go, like it was really? a crazy, yeah, it was a crazy thing. I had to take, I had to take the, the, covers, the, off, the, all the covers, covers off, belt covers off, yeah. but I was able like to just barely slip it back together, and it was, wow. it, yeah, it was crazy, but That's a... you know. It, you look at these things and, and and you know that that horizontally opposed subi motors like the technological evolution oh, that wow. Volkswagen oh, never yeah, got to, for which sure. and my understanding is that Volkswagen Subaru bought that technology from Volkswagen. It's my understanding, but I don't I, I, that's here or there been verified. But I, I'm surprised. You know, I thought that would be the next thing, but then the next hot ticket after, you know, w- once you started before you got into the LS thing was like the. The, the ecotech or the eco no
1: ecotechs have evolved here and
0: that's uh, just a different class that's a different class Four cylinder. basically
1: that used to be what that is class 10 and we used to build hondas and toyotas like a toyota 4g or we built the honda b series motors a mm-hmm. b16 um, or a b18 and uh you know we were building those with all the fuel injection and and motec and dry sumped and it was a $25,000 four cylinder motor that spun 9,000 RPM. And you rebuilt them every couple races and they weren't cheap. And, uh, basically it killed the class is
0: what happened because too expensive. Too expensive. I was like, if I'm, I'm spending trophy truck money and run, well, running in a class. What, ten What
1: happened was the LS came out and the LS was so inexpensive in the very beginning that, that why spend 25,000 on a four cylinder in an unlimited buggy, but you had a limited motor let's just go class one and we'll put an LS in there and it's cheaper. And so that's what a lot of guys did and it killed class 10. So class 10 is basically limited motor, unlimited suspension. And so they said, well, what do we got to do? And so some guys came up with this 2.4 Ecotech that basically crate motor made about the same power as the, uh, the Honda. It just, it made a bunch of torque. It didn't rev, you know, it only mm-hmm. runs maybe 7,000 RPM where the Honda run nine. And so they started kind of putting that into the class and that brought that class back and made class 10 what it is today. And, and it's really uh, a good class. You know, we do a lot of the Ecotech crate motors. So basically they're, they're an untouched crate motor, uh, all stock parts, but we can put any aftermarket headers, flywheels, clutches, bracketry. We do all uh, electronics, you know, mill spec harnesses with MoTeC ECUs or life racing, or just all depends on what the guy wants to do. And, um, you know the motor lasts. The guys, you know, guys run them for a season at least, if maybe maybe two seasons. And then you basically get a new long block and put all your accessories on it. Yeah, you were there. telling
0: me that you don't rebuild those.
1: Can't they don't? They won't allow you because at a certain point, if you let us rebuild them we're gonna tweak them we're gonna start cheating well i'm not gonna say cheat i saw
0: when i was when i i won't mention the name of the old off-road racer that i was at his shop and i saw a whole pair of single port 40 40 by thirty five five heads there you go there you go what are those man he's like those are cheater heads bud yeah yeah that's it
1: you know (laughs) so it's just finding that edge right and i look at it and go you just you're better off going nope because they don't make an oversized piston stock. So you'd have to go to an aftermarket company, right? Like, you know, so, and, and so what's that
0: motor cost out of the box, like a long block.
1: So you can buy a, a now you can buy them from Chevy and they're about, um, dollars but they want a $1,200 core charge. Wow. Yeah. So we have sourced all the parts now and we hand build them, which we're allowed to. We're a certified guy. We tag them with our tags and we hand build them with all brand new GM parts. And, uh, you know, we'll go through and just blueprint them, you know, I mean, it's all 100% legal, but we go through and mortgage and check and make sure it's right. And, uh, you know, we, we do quite a few of those. Matter of fact, I probably sold four in the last week and a half. Wow. So it's a very popular motor.
0: Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, man. Well, I tell you, man, I, I, you know, I've enjoyed having you on here. I definitely want to have you back, man. Cause I, you know, I, we, I could talk for hours with you about all kinds of nonsense, but, You know, I I wanted to get, get you on the air and we get this, have this conversation, talk a lot about your history, talk a lot about the drag racing. And now just one thing to bring it back to VWs. You tried to get your old car back. Yeah. We've been been working on it. Um, Have you been in touch with the guy that you sold it to?
1: So I haven't, but my good buddy, George Jimenez, who bought my shop Uh down in uh, Cali, he is still in touch with him. We, We have located it. It's down in Monterey, Mexico. It has changed hands um, a, a couple times, we think now, but we're trying to get a hold of it. So maybe we can get that thing back up here to the States and resurrect that thing and uh, put it all together. And
0: Yeah, I wonder if, the if there ever will be like a, like a vintage drag racing class for Volkswagens. I mean, you look at the nostalgia drags that they have yeah. in Bakersfield. Yeah. And I'm sure they do the same thing with Volkswagens. I
1: don't think so because the Volkswagens are already vintage as they are, right? You right. go build a 67. So, I mean, I look at it and go, it would be, if I got that car back, it would be hard not to go and do a bunch of updates and try and make it like a modern day pro, pro stock that they, you know, these guys pat downs and all these guys have nowadays, you know.
0: What's the difference in technology between that car and your car?
1: Uh, Motor technology def- definitely changed. As My far car, as
0: chassis wise?
1: Chassis wise, they've done some longer ladder bars. They've done a low center gravity car. They sit a little bit lower. Um, so nothing, that, that could be all, that could be all. But
0: nothing like game change It's no, like, oh, no, that no. car is garbage. No,
1: I think I could take that car. I think I could take my old car. I'd have to remount some stuff, get the thing down a little bit lower. And um, it had strut front end and it, it probably needs a little bit longer ladder bar in it. And then uh, the big thing is motor tranny, right? They they're all putting bus trannies in them or right. CVs and doing that. Um, the transmissions have you know kind of almost become clutchless, clutch management stuff. However, they're doing the whether it's the a, rev six or yeah, whatever. the rev six and, and these guys, you know, back in the day, Berg had uh what's called an anti-shocker, you the, know? Yeah. The Washington the Washi- anti-shocker. Yep. And now mm-hmm. guys have done some more sophisticated versions of those. It was
0: like, it was crazy. Like a little tiny thing yep. that, oh, yeah. that your clutch pedal hit, but yep. it just like that little,
1: yep. that little just didn't, you know, shock it. Now, so. did you
0: know, Gene? I mean, did you, Oh yeah. So, yeah. And what, so what was Gene's personality? Like, like, like you're, cause I'm, I'm assuming at the time, Gene's all business trying to run a shop and here's this scrub kid that just rolls in there and makes buddies with his boys. And probably a lot of people were doing that back in those days he, trying to be.
1: He was honestly, you never went in there when he wasn't had a, didn't have a smile, didn't have something to say. You know, I mean, he, he, you could tell he loved what he was doing, really? or at least on my end of it on that side of the counter mm-hmm. that I was on and uh, he loved it. And whether it was at the track I mean, he, I mean, he was stoked to be there every day and what are you building? What do you got going? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, nothing but like we used to call it the Berg Bible. Like he, he, all the pamphlets he wrote and and I still have it to this day in a three ring binder that we've had. And, uh, you know, there was just so much knowledge there that as a young kid, you couldn't find it anywhere else. So of course you read it all. You read it and you, you lived by it to a certain point, Yeah, you know, but at a certain point, you go, well, seven to one, I'm not driving to New York, you know, <laughs> I, I I can make my nine, you know, I mean, or, you know, and, but, you know, I was fortunate enough that he took a liking to me. And so I feel like, like my first roller cam motor, which we actually, he did for me, like we took him a case, they did what they did in their own race motors, because, Gary got to be, you know, Gary was a guy that we looked up to and, 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 and was like, okay, what's it going to take, dude? Can you do a roller cam? Well, bring me a case. Let me see, you know, and we'd order cranks from him. And so when, if I'd order a crank, you know, Gene was a big Porsche journal guy, Porsche journal, Porsche journal, Porsche journal. It's like, no, no, I want Chevy journal. Okay. We'll do Chevy journal for you. And it would be like, well, Hey, can you do all the lightning stuff on it? Like you do, I've seen some cranks and well, uh, okay. Okay. And so we'd, you know, you'd have to wait, but all of a sudden you'd get a crank and it was four or five pounds lighter and Chevy journal. And, and it was like, Oh, okay. You know?
0: Well, what's funny is, you know, I have that bird motor in the garage, sure. the infamous bird motor that I found. Yeah. And I remember I called uh Clyde shop and I don't know these guys very well. I mean, sure. I've talked to Clyde a few times, but I'm sure he probably would never recognize me or whatever. Not important. But, uh, I called him one time and I said, Hey, I've got the receipts. I've uh, When I bought that motor, I had all the receipts from 1988. And I'm going through it and I said, yeah, I guess maybe, I think you guys built this motor. And he says, no, we didn't build motors for people. No, we just sold parts. Yeah. He says, um, very rarely, Unless you were like a friend of jeans. Yes. He says, you read in the manual. He says the best person should build your motor is you. Yeah. Cause he wanted
1: to educate people. Right. Yeah, it, and then he wanted people to, to learn. And, and he did, you know, I mean, very few people had true Berg motors. Very few, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, he he he'd want you to learn and, and he knew that if you read and did it yourself, then you're hands on and you're going to be, it's going to be that much better off. So, and um, you know, he was a great guy.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, listen, and, and on this podcast, I know I've been, I've been wanting to get Gary on here for a long time. Oh man. And uh, I, you better calm and twist his arm because I, you know, I could talk to him for an hour just yeah. about trying to figure out what life was like back then, what yeah. it was like, because it's one of those things where on the VW side that there's like I, Gene Berg bought a set of DCNFs for me at Pomona one time and he came walking through. Here's this guy with his pants pulled up too high. Yeah. Oh his yeah. plaid shirt and oh his yeah. fisherman hat on yeah, just kind of walking through. And then I'm like, he's like, how much do you want for the DCNFs? And um, he's like, okay, you know, I sold them for a hundred bucks whatever. And then I'm like, realize like, bro, that's Gene Berg. I just sold a set of DCNFs to Gene Berg. My bro so rad. And I was just like on this high and it's like, he's just, He's just a dude, just a dude. just a regular guy. Yeah. But, you know, because of what he contributed to the scene, the, the family as a whole, I think, oh. you know, those heads that I have over there, you know, they're stamped on the inside, ported by Clyde Berg. Yeah. And like the, the the you'd look at the ports and there's a glass. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's it's just like super nice port work. It's the motor runs like a top, it's super low compression, it's got DC enough on. So yep. It's like six, six to one yep. compression. That's how he did them. I mean, it's just crazy. But You know, they contributed so much to the scene that I really want to – I'd love to dig deep and just see, you know, what it was like being around at that time and and maybe some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff. Sure. You know, because there's so much history there, and they contributed. So I think they were one of the first ones making the Ancient 7 eighths headers. Oh, Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, they—I mean—all that stuff. They developed a lot of that big stuff. Yeah. And back in the day, in the drag race side of it, I mean, Gary had eighty-four by ninety-four, or actually ninety-four by ninety-four motors. He had yeah. monsters. You know, he was the guy that was doing. We would take. Would uh, they, would,
0: they would make their own cranks. That ninety-four crank. They'd oh, make they had. Themselves. They made all their stuff because they had right? all the they all had, the billet stuff. They had it all.
1: Like they they all their forgings, and he yeah, took. I think there were 95 millimeter Porsche cylinders, which is a Nicosil cylinder, mm-hmm. aluminum based. And he would splice two together to make them long enough to be able to put a big stroke in him. That's what was in like some of their race stuff. I mean, it was like unbelievable, you know, and I was fortunate enough. I did get to see some of that stuff. Not all of it, but it was like, okay, you know.
0: And were so, they super secretive around the shop with their race stuff or well, no? Well, you
1: didn't. I mean- it was, you were behind the counter forever, you know? I mean, and then finally, if you got to, you know, Gary, at one time I was having problems with the wedge mate and I showed up down there and he, okay. And he's like, come by after work and I'll help you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I went down there and, uh, I got to go in the back. You know, it was like, you got to go in the back. It was like, holy cow, this is where it's at. You know, and Gary had his little area where he built motors and, and, uh, you know, it'd be like, there'd be a packing blanket underneath there, that was a motor. And here's another one over here. And then, you know, uh, you know, where they ported heads, I'll never forget Clyde had, it was like this fishnet that went over the top that they, Gina, I don't know who figured it out because when you're porting heads, it's dirty and there's stuff everywhere. And, and it was like, it would drop down and make him like this little cocoon that was probably a little bit bigger than, you know, maybe 10 by 15 area to where it didn't get all over the shop. And I was like, man, that's a great idea. You know? Well, I mean, Cause it would like, yeah, yeah all the shavings, the shavings, all the shavings. Floating off in the air. Yeah. And it was like, man. And so, I mean, they had everything to do everything back there you know, and it was just uh
0: and it's crazy. Cause it, cause it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like common knowledge technology, like the fishnet thing. Like he probably saw that somewhere else in some other industry. Yeah. Or, you and know, said, this and, works for yeah. these shavings. It was like, it was and, like,
1: cause it kind of crazy, you know, I was like, oh, that's a great idea how he did that, you know? And so,
0: but like the, the Washington shocker, oh, like who would think of that? Yeah. Like the, like the Gee. little spring <laughs> that just slows down the clutch sure. at the very last second. Cause, I don't know if he had a background in engineering, I don't know, but, but I mean the I guy was just like you know, ahead of his game, dude. Super into it. And one of the stories that I hear all the time is that when he actually came down cuz I, I I had uh Joe Horvath on the podcast and Joe Horvath, 86 years old, been in the game for a long time, Revmaster Engines, sure. like he was Revmaster. Yeah. And I think he was the one that was telling me that Gene had actually come down was supposed to be uh starting a shop with uh, Dean um uh the dinosaur oh I can't Dean, think of Dean Lowry like him and Dean Lowry' were supposed to start a shop together and they came down here and it was like that's not gonna work just gonna start his own shop you know what I mean like
1: yeah because I think he was originally from Washington right Written, yeah or yeah up, yeah from came, up there. came down from Washington yeah, yeah.
0: And so, uh, I mean, so you were teenagers hanging out with all them guys at the time. Oh yeah, at that
1: time, you know. I mean,
0: Gary was the old one, right? Because he's the old like, one. yeah, he's like five, six years older than you. I mean, oh, well, I, probably, think I think he's older than that. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's like sixty. Yeah, maybe. so
1: he's nine years older than me. So when I'm eighteen, he's twenty. Oh know? yeah,
0: you're like, dude, that's a man. You're like a well, grown straight man. up, you know. I mean,
1: I'm just getting out of high school, going down there and spending my, you know, uh, and allowance. Then, and you then know, you
0: got then you got Clyde. Clyde Doug and Doug. Clyde, yeah, Doug yeah. and Clyde, and yeah. they're like, uh, you know, there's like this whole, uh, it's like, that. like that's the spot, like, and and it's funny because he, I think he was so specific about what he what what he was gonna do. People either liked him or didn't like 100%. him. One hundred percent. That was it.
1: You know, forever. It was like, oh, you can't run 94s. It's ninety fours. It's 90.5s. and it's thick wall ninety point fives. You know, and it was like, you you can't run ninety fours. Well, at a certain point, the stuff that he built. That you could get in and drive from here to New York and not even have it. think about it. You're right. You probably you know you probably shouldn't run 94s because yeah. the cooling and this and that. You know, well, we but we're talking
0: quarter mile at a time. We, yeah, you know, if you I get mean, three thousand miles of, it, it's a lot of drive. It's yeah, a lot of passes. You know, so
1: I mean, and and you know they're all there all their race motors had big pistons in them but like for the street scene you know i mean he built some unbelievable 2110s and stuff like that with their packages and he just had it sorted out you know i mean uh they just drove so good whether it was dcnfs or you know whatever i mean it was just like they were performance engines that lasted because of the quality of the stuff
0: yeah yeah it's crazy it's it's like although the scene seems so small, there's so many different caveats of so many different parts manufacturers and people that came out of nowhere and every little thing that it's like, you know, nothing ever (laughs) be. And I want to say it was driven by the VW people being like, it was driven by the dollar. Like, no, I want it cheaper. And this guy can make it cheaper. And so this company springs out of nowhere from, you know, from Gex to Bernie Bergman to whoever, you know, and you had everybody. So everybody, yeah, it's 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 been a it's been a um you know, it's been a crazy ride for me being in the scene for the last 25 years just as an enthusiast and seeing the developments and evolutions of all these things and 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 that's you know why I do what I do what I what I do with this because I love doing it and I eventually you know want to start doing a little bit of off-road stuff every now and again just some off-road stuff because all things started with Volkswagen's pretty much, you know. That's so.
1: where they all, you know, had
0: VWs at one time or another. Well, that's it. So, who is anybody you want to thank before we wrap up the podcast? Anybody that's been uh, that's been influential in in you being where you're at, getting where you're at, or some of the people that uh, that really?
1: Uh... You know, uh, I'm gonna tell you, my parents are super supportive. Always, you know, back in the day, Mr. Roger Crawford helped me out a lot. Gary Berg, Gene, you know, I mean, um, just had a lot of great friends that put a lot of time in and and help me. And we, you know, had a great time doing it and still doing it, you know? So, I mean, today's time I've had, a, yeah, Kioki Disa has worked for me for 17 years. He came from Hawaii, big VW guy, you know, and you know, he was, he has been at the shop with me here in Vegas and so I couldn't do it without him. And a good know, engine builder for sure. Oh, he's, he's meticulous, you know? So, um, you know, my wife for putting up with all this crap,
0: but, uh, <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's her fault, man. Yeah. she's. Well, she's, right. she's they, 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 they supplied the, the, they paved the road for your poison, right? Like yeah. her family probably bought a bunch of motors from you. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, oh, they
1: did. I, at one time I think we had between the nieces and nephews and her and her brother and her dad, I think we did six or seven motors just in her family. Wow. Cause we had, you know, that's a pretty big family that was all into one, two sixteen hundred off road racing. So, you know, it's, uh, there's just been tons of people and tons yeah. of, you know, neat people that you've met through the years and. You know, that, that, you know, I, I just saw the other day that, uh, Chris Klingerman passed away and, and I, and I think about that and I go, man, I remember sitting in the stands and watching him and Mike Smith and these guys. And it was just like, wow, you know, it's just sad, you know, we're so, all getting older, man, dude it's crazy, <laughs> you know? And, and so, you know, those are guys you looked up to and, and, and that you, you know, you couldn't get close enough to their car cause you just want to see what they were doing. And it was just, Oh my gosh, you know? So, I mean, it's, uh, it's interesting when you sit back and look at the last let's see 30 years you yeah know,
0: probably it's you been know. a lot it's been a lot of stuff and it's like the thing that got you into it the enjoyment that you love to do racing when's the last time you ran a car down the track
1: Drag strip yeah it's been a long time yeah and I drove uh Angie Vanderhorse's super street car here in Vegas. God, it's been. I'd have to go look at that. I think if there's a picture on the wall at the shop. I'd have to look, but it's probably, back in
0: the Buggin' days, like when they we were doing the Buggins. Yeah, here.
1: when they did the Buggins here.
0: And you, you know? drove her car.
1: I drove her car. I don't know for some reason she couldn't make it.
0: You were like testing it. Like,
1: uh, we were testing it. Well, her she couldn't make it, so they let me. Her dad was like, "Well, we want to race the car, you know." And I used to help them and go to the races with him when she was driving it. And, and I met him in your
0: at, pit, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, oh
1: yeah, Bruce. Bruce comes to the offered races, so yeah. we, we. Bruce is a good good friend, and he progressed from. Drag racing, you know, I went drag racing with him. To, he started doing all the off-road stuff with us and he's got side-by-sides and four-seaters and he loves it, you know. But uh, she wasn't going to make it and, and Bruce was like, come drive the car. And I was like, okay.
0: How, how nervous are you driving somebody else's car?
1: That's a whole story in itself. We probably don't have time for that, but I can tell you this, almost crashed that one. We got time. To, hold
0: on, we got time, brother. Okay. When the story's good. People love listening to it. Yeah. So, so
1: he asked me to come drive his car it has a brand new Dick Veil paint job. So that those of you guys that know the car, this thing is immaculate. It was painted. cover
0: car hot VWs. Co- oh yeah, yeah, cover car. He Hobby showed W's. me. He's like, oh, I was on the cover of hot VWs. Yeah. I was like, oh, I should probably uh, get on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, unbelievable car. So at the time. I was a line lock guy in all my racing stuff. I never used a stage brake. A lot of these guys use a stage brake and hold the brake and then reach over and grab the shifter and grab second gear. And I was always a line lock guy. So you had a line lock, whether you had it on the front tires is normally how you do it, but most Volkswagens don't have front brakes. So what we would do is put it on the rear tires and you just had to be very cautious on how much pressure you put on it. And basically it locks the brakes up. When you put the first stage light on, it puts a little drag on it to where you can kind of drag the car into the next light and the car won't just keep rolling. So at the time, they put a new line lock on it and I never paid attention to it. And uh, they went up and, you know, I, I, I go up and first time driving this car, I go through all the stuff. Well, the line lock was somehow activated on a switch or he had to switch something on the back of the car when I pulled up the stage. So he does this switch. Well, what it did was it turned the line lock on. So it basically closed the brake line off. So when I went up to go stage, it really kind of had no brakes, but a little, and I couldn't really tell. I was like, well, there's a little drag. That's because the brakes were a little bit on. And, uh, so I launched the car, go through the gears, shut the thing off and I go to hit the brakes and the brake pedal is rock hard. And I'm like, oh my God. There's no you're brakes. You're headed for the wall. I'm headed for the trap. At, 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 at how fast? I don't know, so 140? No, nah, I think it only went 125 or something. And at this point, the motors Because
0: you drove with the brakes on?
1: Well, the brake was dragging, right? You know. So, And I was like, oh my God. So my only option was- start downshifting this thing. Well, the motor shut off. So I literally, it's a, it's a dog ring transmission. And I literally stuffed the thing into third gear and wah, wah, let the clutch out. And it just, wah, trying hold to hold on. Decel. So you're
0: engine breaking the engine car breaking, with the engine off with
1: the engine off straight up. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God. And, and like, thank God Vegas is uphill and long. And so as it's getting slowed up, I'm thinking, oh, I could think I can make it. I think, well, when I went around the corner at the top end, it literally was like, like going around the right. corner and like, dude, the, the guys in the safety truck were looking at me like, Oh my gosh. And I got out of the car and I was shaking. I was like, Oh my God. I about crashed this <laughs> brand new paint job car, you know? Cause the paint job was probably oh, yeah. $10,000, you know? And, and I was just like, and he pulls up, he's like, Oh man, how'd it go? And I go, not good. We have big problems. He's like, what? We finally figured out that something in how the electrical worked. It was turning the line lock on. And, uh, and, and locking the, and brake, locking pedal. the brake pedal. Oh, well, nice. well, if you didn't have your foot on the brake, right? If I would have had my foot on the brake, it locked it, and the car wouldn't have moved. You know, and we, so we had to go rewire stuff in the pits, and then I think we went on to win the next day. To be honest, holy crap! Yeah, so that's the last time I've been down the drag strip.
0: And what um, was that car running motor wise?
1: That mo- car had a um, eighty four ninety six
0: naturally aspirated
1: naturally aspirated
0: we're not a turbo guy no no what did you that's tell me like about cheating, turbo that's like what did you, you tell me about turbos what did you say yeah. Any, what do you say about turbo guys pretty, <laughs> i mean there's a saying that carb guys say about yeah. turbo guys uh, what, something about uh like if you can't make power put a turbo on it or well, something pretty, like, pretty is, pretty is much, you, pretty i mean, much. I mean no. I, and, the rea- and i shouldn't say that because well, there, there's
1: guys that unbelievable turbo
0: stuff but. and it's and it's it, it's kind of in jest but the reality yeah. is to but but the reality is there's a little more tolerance with a turbo car. A, 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 you can push your way through some, some uh, setbacks. Well,
1: I mean, there's, you know, I'm mean, of course the better motor that you have that you put a turbo on. It's going to make more power, but right. you know, I mean, a actually aspirated, it's just, it's the hardest way to make power. Right? Yeah. Cause it's so, gotta be
0: it's, exactly tuned.
1: Well, that. And it's gotta, you know, the cylinder head and all that's gotta be right. So, you know, I just have never been a turbo guy and, and, uh,
0: you ever driven a turbo car down the track?
1: Nope. No. During some turbo stuff, well, Cause you street. know what happens when you drive that kind oh, of yeah. power, no, no. It's you get insane. addicted. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, Everybody it's like, got, I mean, Kyoki's a turbo guy, right? And he was a turbo guy and he's like, dude, you know, it just never quits pulling, you know? Yeah. And I've driven some street stuff with turbos and stuff and it's amazing, you know, yeah. but uh, I just always been an NA guy forever. You know, I just think it's, uh, you know, that's how it is. But See, I
0: keep, I think keeping the perfect combination is like the 2600 type four with a low psi turbo setup on it, like a like maybe five to seven max. And that's
1: probably it because the problem is it wants to wants to lift the head. I told you. That I know, before. but that's
0: what I'm saying. I that's what I'm th- saying. Like if you c- imagine what kind of torque you're gonna push out oh, it's on the depressing. street if you got a turbo type four, and I mean, and you're and you're not drag racing the car, but you're like street race killing people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like no. you just mob down the road and just downshift and just like and they and there's no way they're catching no, it because between no the torque and then a the little bit of boost yeah because i've been thinking like maybe uh, could i sneak some squeeze on that car is that See, too much that's the problem i'm just curious i'm, no, just, I, I'm asking for a friend
1: yeah yeah I, you can do whatever you want <laughs> well but i mean
0: like listen you know i'm still a vw guy so i want to know can i daily drive it can I get 400 horsepower that's for 2,000 uh, uh, bucks? And and daily driving with, with a
1: little nitrous, and uh, and I and drive it to the show in California. By the way, yeah, yeah, right. right so, I'll, I'll, uh, can I make it up?
0: Baker great with nitrous. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. It's been a great time. And I know, and I know you had a good time because well, I, I love, I love chatting I up did, it up with you. It's and good. I'll
1: have to be back. Cause. Well, I will
0: for sure get you back because we, I definitely want to get into some of the deeper stuff. And some of you guys out there listening, if if there's things I didn't touch on with, with Adam, he's here in town. And as long as it took me, I've been asked this guy for over a year to come on the podcast only because he has such great stories and we haven't scratched the surface of all the, all the fun stuff. But, uh, for sure, we're going to have you back on, and, and if and if you guys are out there listening, there's things I didn't ask him about, and you want me to get some insight, we we can do that. And I may have, I know that we talked about it one time. Uh, we're talking about trying to do a dyno day over at your place. Yeah. And if we can get the dyno day nailed off, I'm going to live stream the dyno day. We're just going just to just talk what you want to talk and bring it in Vegas and put it down at the put it down at the dyno. We'll have to try and schedule that. We're going to see who has the most torque and horsepower in a VW bus that. They drive.
1: Oh, bus. So, no, bus.
0: buses, gears, whatever. But, whatever. you know, okay. I'm, I'm always trying to slant the class to wherever I could possibly win. <laughs> <laughs> so just go. being honest. But no, I get it. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, we'll for sure do this again.
1: Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. Later.
0: Bye. Well, there you have it, guys. Hopefully you appreciated that uh, podcast because I really enjoyed doing it like I enjoy doing most of them, man. There's some pretty awesome stories. And there's tons more to tell, man. So uh, I'm sure we'll have Adam back on here again. And I may include him uh, on one of the roundtables coming up. I'll let you guys know in advance so that you guys can get your engine questions up and out of the way. So uh, don't forget, share the podcast with your friend. Also, if you're interested in sponsoring Let's Talk Dubs, send me an email at bill at letstalkdubs.com and find out how Let's Talk Dubs can bring customers to your business. Remember to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. So as we start doing some live streams, you guys will get alerts and be able to follow along and check out some of the live streams that we have coming up. And again, letstalkdubs.com, store, go to merch and support. Until next week, guys, later.
1: Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house. The 1974 Volkswagen, covered by VW owner's security blanket.